Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to part two of our four-part series on the Joe Rogan Experience featuring Jordan Peterson. Our hey, Peterson hey. expert, unfortunately, cannot be with us today uh, because on our day off, someone not naming names decided to uh, get caught in traffic all day yesterday. So, oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah that was that was Rufus. <laughs> and was unbearably hungover. So. Yep. so we did not record on all of our mutual days off. So I believe Ryan is at work or sleeping or both. Um, who knows what he does? Uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently he didn't want to day drink with us. So, right. Yeah. Irresponsible or some shit like that. Um, so we are doing this one without him. Um, we'll get his input on what we watched at the start of the next episode. Uh, but we, I didn't want to put too much time in between part one and part two, uh, cause we do want to get back to the news eventually. Yeah. So this, this is going to be long enough, even if we just watched it much yeah. less comment on it. Right. Commentate. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, if you're interested in the, if you've listened to the edited version and the the, re, the free release version of the episode part one, um, as of right now, I've cut it down from five hours to three hours for the edited release. So if you want to hear a total of five hours, um, that is available now. So make sure to visit us on Patreon um, and check out our merch, get some ADD shirts and shit. All right. Oh, uh, quick reminder, uh, if for some reason you're just now listening to part two and you skipped part one, uh, we are watching the Rogan Peterson episode uh, to a drinking game. And the quick reminder on those rules, rule number one slash four, uh, anytime one of the two, usually Peterson, will make a... An, and then make a make a very confident claim on science or some other aspect of the world with full authority in his voice, though lacking any actual authority on the subject. Let's drink. Yep. Uh, anytime they basically verbalize a hate crime, let's drink. drink. Uh, any form of misogyny. Any time misogyny comes out, which I think we are. If you did listen to the last one, we're about to get into. Uh, misogyny uh anytime rogan accidentally makes a great point yep <laughs> he'll just stumble his way into it sometimes he that's gravity first. was his big point of the last <laughs> one <laughs> and and then the big one uh anytime uh lobster gets brought up chug your drink lobster yep. chug lobster chug we we did not get a lobster chug in the last episode but i have high hopes though we'll see Hopefully we have at least one lobster chug in the four hours that they talk. So oh. wait, wait, wait. There's not a lobster emoji. Damn. Is there not? <laughs> uh, there should be a shrimp one. That's probably close. It's crustaceous. There's not even a crab. Damn. There's a shell. Getting rid of Zoom. <laughs> yes. 
fried shrimps. shrimps. That's a really sad lobster party. <laughs> and with that, let's. I don't even know they were talking about. Us. Yeah, I was gonna mates. say let's uh, let's hit the back button a couple times on the back fifteen. Might have been a little tipsy last time. Yeah, we I got I got a little out of hand towards the end of the last one. We drank a <laughs> lot from the first hour of this. <laughs> uh, I am going to try to avoid that this go around only because it's, it's 11 20 in the morning. Yeah, it's well, it's nine for me. So <laughs> um yeah, we didn't quite make it a full hour. So let's see what they were talking about. Indicates in some sense, communication between all the patterned layers because they have to go together. And so, Oops. what's the world? Well, the world's made of objects. It's like, no, it's not. It's made of patterns. So music is just like the world. Oh, right. Because the world's made of patterns. Uh, the Ramones. And then music has layered patterns that are all moving together in a harmonious manner. And so what do you do when you hear that? dancing helps find mates. Well, then you move your body. Right. You want to, right? The music calls to you to move your body. So now you're moving your body in sync with the patterned layers of the world. That's meaning. And then there's more to it. So that's so cool. Is Music is an analog of the structure of existence itself. And it calls to you to take part in that. And then so maybe you dance by yourself. Bullshit. Or maybe even better, you <laughs> dance with someone else. And so then you uh -oh. both bring your bodies into this patterned relationship with this multi-layer harmony together in a spontaneous way, indicating that you can both play and are therefore potentially trustworthy future mates. There That's it is. unbelievably cool. And birds dance. It's not just human beings, you know. So this is a deep thing. And then music does something else, <laughs> too. <laughs> it puts you on the border between chaos and order. Because a boring song does exactly what you expect it to do and, and gets dull very quickly. And an unlistenable song is so random you can't follow it. And so what you want is predictability with a leaven of unpredictability. And then that puts you right on the edge. That's the zone of proximal development. Vygotsky discovered that. Like a Hendrix song. Yeah, yeah like a Hendrix song. Well, any great music does yeah, that. But it, I mean, I Hendrix mean, has so much creativity inside the structure of the song because mm -hmm. there's riffs that he'll right, do. Right, right, right. And everyone right. loves, oh man, I went to this yeah. bar in Nashville. Uh, this band was playing Kelly's Heroes, a great guitarist, the best guitarist I've ever seen. And they were playing old country music with a heavy blues rock uh, twist. So they do this great version of... Uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky, like 15 minutes long, and mm. this brilliant guitarist just goes way out on a limb. And everybody in the crowd, it's so, it was so fun to be there. They're just thrilled to death because they're watching this man doing the same thing that surfers do. He's like dancing on the edge of chaos and order in this virtuosic manner. And everyone is so taken by that that it just lifts them out of the normality of their existence you know they see this joy is he crying just transfuse I, them yeah and that's because they got an intimation of genuine meaning and it's uh, and it's 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 not amenable to rational criticism which is the thing that i thought that struck me as so miraculous about music and why it has this element of salvation it's like it puts you directly in touch with the meaning that sustains you in life directly and it shows you what that would be which is something like to observe the harmonious interplay of the patterns of being stacked on top of one another and then to bring yourself into alignment with that 
which is what yogis strive to do and what disciplined athletes strive to do and what we celebrate in athletics. And it's all a reflection of the same thing. And that's real. It's real, that meaning. It's, it's real also in what it imparts on other people. It's not just, it's, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like, even though people can play beautiful music when no one's around, it's not the same as playing beautiful music in front of people because there's a thing that happens when people interact with that mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. Well, you see that, in, you know, if you get lucky, you go to a mu I went to a Leonard Cohen concert, one of the ones he put on when he went on tour when he was old. He lost all his money when he was in a Buddhist monastery. Dangers of being in a Buddhist monastery, by the way. Did he really? <laughs> yes, his manager, his manager, uh, Shanghai. Yeah, and so he had to go so back. That had nothing to do with the Buddhist monastery. He made right. way more money on that tour than he did, I think. It was in his all weird. Life. Did he get a new manager? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was an old friend. <laughs> Can't trust those Buddhist well, monasteries really or your non-Buddhist manager. He got might better and better money. as he got old, kind of like Johnny Cash, right. you know, because Cash got damn near transcendent just before he died. He put out some songs like "The Man Comes Around" that are just they're just unbelievable. He wrote a book on St. Paul, by the way. He did? So, yes, yes, he did. On St. Paul. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, so that's pretty interesting. But so Cohen, when Houston he came is, on has the most stage, boomer taste in music. And then he, he played his sets, and it was like a religious experience, you know, and every, what well, was, it was a religious experience I, in the most fundamental sense. And everybody in the audience was. It's strange for me watching him care so passionately about something like the arts. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> be the person that he is. Like it's, yeah. it's a very mixed bag here that I'm feeling watching yeah. him cry about was, music. It was hard to make fun of him. Almost, it, it's like, oh, he he really does care about things. He's not right. A He's complete not, it's not monster. like Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, like uh, when I, when I heard the Behind the Bastards on Jeff Bezos, he talked about how uh, it is. Well, one of his biographers talked about how. Um, he didn't understand music like right. at all that's why apple beat amazon at the music street because jeff bezos didn't understand like why music would be important or worth investing in and right. like the way that he became relatable in college was that he memorized the like station letters for popular radio stations like that's how disconnected <laughs> he was was the only way that he could come up with conversation about music was he was like oh yeah i know music uh i listened to and then like rattle off some stations that were popular not artists that were popular but like uh, the opposite is happening here like he definitely cares a lot about music music has influenced his life a lot but you usually when that happens you end up with a different sort of worldview than what he presents yeah i mean literally what he's talking about is the description of music as like a almost a way of like creating empathy with your fellow man yeah I even in the sense of like a mating ritual like that's still like a passion for another human that comes stems from music yeah and i think my main issue with that whole thing was that he tried leading into his passion about music was a conversation about how simply just like a series of patterns based on world order yeah it's all patterns not objects or something like that uh right which an argument could be made for patterns like the different uh the the three chords the three power chords that most songs are composed yeah. of but like that's still like a weird it's weird to like derive anything from that the fact that patterns exist yeah all right 
there in the same place at the same time doing the same thing with him, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know what, what that's like when you go to a great... Well, that can happen to... I'm sure it happens to you at your comedy shows yeah. when the whole audience is <laughs> united and, and the stories are unrolling and everyone's focused on... Are those okay. the same thing? It's, it's not exactly the same thing, but... Yeah, okay. So, well, it's not exactly the same Well, it's also <laughs> yeah. the good comedians are right... They're like musicians. They're right on the border between order and chaos because the place of maximal funny is when you're just about pushing it too far, right? You think, oh, do I have to say this? Mm. <laughs> you know, do I have to say this? Like, yeah, you have to say this. Okay, I'm going to say it. And everyone cracks up and they crack up, you know, and it blows apart their sterile preconceptions. That's part of cracking up, you mm. know, when you laugh. And it's so cool because... It's the antidote Do to the I totalitarianism. Do I say the word I'm um, going to say the word And that's why you can tell anybody who goes after a comedian. Jokes. Oh, yeah, I know who you are. Here he goes. So the whole, it's the antidote to totalitarianism, and anybody who goes after a comedian is a totalitarian. Uh, that's, that's, he's getting ready to rattle about cancel culture. I can feel it. <laughs> oh, you don't want me saying the N-word in my set? You're a totalitarian. You're the king who right, can't stand Nazi. the fool. That's the tyrant. So you you reveal yourself, same as people who go after musicians or dancers. It's well, like, I think people are going after comedy for a different thing today. Because who they're goes going after, after comedy for a literal, literal representation of what the words mean if you put them in print. And that's nonsense. Yeah, like, but That's not what a comedian yeah, is doing. Well, they're doing, that. They're, they're doing that because there are some things they believe that can't be made fun of. Yeah, but the, really what they're doing is just looking for targets. They're playing a game. The game, the rules of the game have been established. Cringe. Comedy violates the rules of the game. Yeah, it's what is not even the case? Take those things. Well, there's a lot of things not, you can't joke about. Mm -hmm. You can't joke Sacred about. Sacred things. Yeah, there's there's Let's protected classes now. Mm -hmm. We all know who they are. We don't even have to bring them up. You Why know, is it funny to make fun of protected people, classes? People, like people of color, who? Asian people. Punching down is not are. funny. Um, one thing you can mock relentlessly is white people. Yeah. Because it's punching up white males. It's one of the. Well, they are pretty funny, you know. Oh, sure, we're ridiculous. But it's a funny pejorative that people will say about like a group of folks. They're primarily white males. Like that is that's a pejorative. Like that's like it's you, my audience. That's yeah, what everyone that's, says. Yeah. Oh, I, you're talking to those those young, angry young white males. But isn't that funny? That, but that, that is, is your audience. That's not what everyone that says. That that's literally your audience. Negative. That's a statement of fact. That's yes. not funny. But it's, it's horrible. A, but it's a horrible generalization because <laughs> you're taking an enormous group of people and you're looking at their ethnic background and their gender, and then you're dismissing them. Well, for a while, you know, because people kept coming and telling me that you know, your audience harder. is only angry white young white. Men, I thought, I, I, I kind of approached that wrong to begin with. I mean, I knew my audience was primarily male, as I suspect yours still is. But then I looked at the YouTube stats, and 70% of people who listen to YouTube were males. So the fact that 70% of my audience was male was not an anomaly. It was just a consequence of the technology. What, what do you think that is? Why, why are 70% of the people that, that watch can't YouTube male? Hold on. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> That's like that literally statistically that can't be true. How do I even search that gender makeup of YouTube users? 
distribution for YouTube, uh, 53% male, 53.9% male, 46.1% female. And that was four days ago. Okay. So yeah, he's, so he's way off, like beyond way off. Like he's just pulling shit out of his ass. And that's from, uh, Statista, uh, which is the, you know, well respected statistics analysis website. Um, stating facts that he does not know about. Yeah, yeah. Distribution of YouTube users in 20, February as of February of 2022 by gender, 53.9% male, 46.1% female. So yeah, that's that's definitely a drink. Yep. Does that make women are more interested in fiction than nonfiction? And mm. and men are opposite to that. So if you look at okay, book but YouTube has both, for example. Women tilt towards fiction also, and men t- tilt towards women fiction. And if you want to know why that is, it's because the most reliable not difference true, that psychologists have think. ever found between men and women, the no. biggest difference, is interest. So women are reliably more interested in people and men are reliably more interested in things. Now, there's still overlap. It's one standard deviation, which is a big difference. But that, that, that isn't to say no women are interested in things because some are, and no, inter- no men are interested in people, because some are. Like, I'm a man who's more interested in people than things. That's why I'm a psychologist. You know, I actually have a relatively feminine personality structure because I'm pretty high in negative emotion, and I'm pretty high in agreeableness, <laughs> and that's the typical feminine structure. And that, that's an interesting discussion to have, too, because, you know, we have this idea in our culture that you can be a, <laughs> He's like, I'm a basic born in bitch. a man's body. <laughs> that's not true. But you can definitely be a man with a feminine personality structure. Okay. Like 10% of men. So again, uh, that's something that's in his field, but that's this the vast majority of his crime field. slash misogyny. It's hate crime it's slash trans. Well, slash misogyny. And also, he's, well, I guess he's speaking from a place of authority that he has the authority to speak from, but most, like, almost it's all of his peers would disagree. Yeah, all of his yeah. peers in that field disagree. <laughs> there's, there's so we'll do two reason. and a half drinks. <laughs> Are as feminine in their personality as the average woman is. And vice versa. 10% of women are as masculine in their personality as the average man is. Now, you can move those boundaries around and say, well, it's 5% and 40 or something. It doesn't matter. But the point is... That- also, the fun thing about these statistics with these types of people is that they totally ignore the fact that there's a significant number of people that are born with both genitalia yeah. that like... Intersex. Yeah. yeah. So like, and, and there's no distinguishable difference, but like, it doesn't lean one way or the other. It's not like you've got more penis than vagina. Like, it's not like... You yeah. could, like so, so this whole personality thing, like when you're boiling it down to genitals, like, how do you, like, you're just going to ignore a sizable, like, it's like, you yeah, know, an inconvenient uh, number science. of human beings that you, yeah. Cause like, yeah, it might be a statistically insignificant number numbers wise, percentage wise, but like when you take into account 6 billion people, that's still millions of people on the planet that right. you're just pretending don't exist. There's plenty yeah. of men who are as feminine in their personality as the average woman. That doesn't mean they're in the wrong body. It just means that men and women are more alike than different, even though they are different, and that there's a huge range within both genders. Well, and we need to know this. So what do you so think is happening with trans people then? 
Well, there's a lot of different kinds of trans people. Okay, first trans men, or, or excuse me, trans women, men to female. Well, then I would say it depends on what period of time you're asking that question about. Right now, if you look at teenagers, for example, who want to switch genders, 95% of them are unbearably confused. That's what's causing that. And I think there's other reasons too. I think this is a conjecture. When the, when the trans Gee, I wonder what's confusing about having half of society hate LC you for existing. In Canada on compelled right. speech grounds, I, I spent quite a bit of time watching them. And I already kind of knew about that fluid identity crowd. So when I was at Harvard, I would hope piercing so. and, and tattooing started to become a cultural rage. And I was interested in, well, who's doing this? Because I knew it was, it was a practice that was limited to criminal subtypes and outcasts. Wait, hold up. When I was at Harvard, piercing and, and tattooing started to become a cultural rage. And I was interested in, well, who's doing this? Because I knew it was, it was a practice that was limited to criminal subtypes. I feel like it's a hate crime. Yeah. Yep. I feel like that's that's like a dog whistle. Is, is, what he just said is a dog whistle. Yes. Criminal subtypes is all that means is like not white for him. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. Well, that's. And even if, like, as I could hear Ryan flipping out about how it's unintentional dog whistles and that's fine it can be unintentional that's still a hate crime you can accidentally right. commit a hate crime all day long I feel like he's also well especially because tattooing and piercing is can be a huge part of other cultures right uh, that's what i'm Maori. saying yeah yeah um particularly yeah and especially cultures that have been like oppressed by by the united states and in particular by united states and europe native american or all of the uh, uk yeah or uh pacific island or whatever like all of those people have had yeah, literally anyone not white basically ancient <laughs> traditions of tattooing that extend beyond your years at harvard yeah and outcasts for a long time so for example if you worked in the circus you were likely to be tattooed you know and you toured around the circus and that was a kind of carny life and it was an outsider life. And if you were a prisoner, same thing. But then all of a sudden it started to make its inroads into the popular Armies culture. and prisoners. So we studied <laughs> no one else had a group of early adopters <laughs> of tattooing and piercing from the perspective of personality. Like, who are these people? And they were all highly creative people. Well, what it, and creativity is a trait. And all people who aren't creative, that's wrong. In fact, most people aren't creative at all. And I can explain that later, but they're not. We, can, we developed a scale doesn't. called the Creative Achievement Questionnaire, which <laughs> I'd like to hear more assesses about that. lifetime contribution to 13 different creative domains. And that your scores would range from zero, I have no training or talent in this area, to I think it was eight. Um, I'm an internationally recognized expert in this area, right? And so 70% of people... If you sum their just scores based on that description, that almost seems like they're zero. Equating ask audiences like success at creating with actual with creativity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Like, oh, you, no, you're not really creative unless you're recognized internationally for your creations. Which international recognition often comes long after the death of the creators in the first place. Right. <laughs> and it's also saying, like, no, no, you're only creative if you are recognized. Right. Or the amount of recognition. Most people won't be. Yeah. Most creative right. people won't be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Starting artist is literally at the phrase. Yeah. Zero. How many songs have you composed? Zero. How many plays have you written? Zero. How okay. many let recipes me, let me, have let you invented? Let me stop you. Let me okay. stop you. So um, the tattooed stop. types are high. They were high in creativity. Okay. And a lot of these people who are fluent Literally in their identity. everyone's drawn something. Are actually high Literally. in trade openness. And they do have fluid These Finger paints. <laughs> and some of them are feminine men and masculine women. So, yeah. But that doesn't mean that surgery is the cure for that. That it does not. But also... <laughs> What he's describing is like gay culture and saying that trans people can't exist because there's like les like butch lesbians and feminine gay guys, like like what he's describing also, like like the arts. Those types of gender norms don't necessarily apply to trans people. Like a right. trans woman doesn't necessarily have to be feminine in appearance or behavior. No, and that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that just because there are like masculine lesbians in the arts or whatever doesn't mean that trans people can't exist. <laughs> like that's insane. Mean that. <laughs> Not at all. My wife well, left before women. So <laughs> trans people don't so exist. <laughs> attracted to the idea that they were born in the wrong body. There it means so much. They're so compelled that they're willing to go through surgery to change God, it means all sorts of things. I knew a kid in Toronto who was on the autistic spectrum, and a lot of the people who are manifesting serious issues with gender identity are on the autistic spectrum. This is like oh. Abigail Schreier's work yeah, and yeah, rapid yeah. onset gender dysphoria yeah. amongst women. Yeah, well, that's a different thing, the rapid onset. That's more like – so part of the reason I objected to Bill Seesaw 16 to begin with was because I knew full well as a clinician that as soon as we messed with fundamental sex categories and changed the terminology – we would fatally confuse thousands of young girls. I knew that because I knew the literature on psychological contagion. And it stretches back like 500 years, that literature, 300 years. It's all outlined in a book by Henri Ellenberger called History of, History of, what's the name of the book? History of Psychoanalytic Ideas. It doesn't matter. It's Henri Ellenberger and it's his main work if you want to look it up. And so psychological contagions are very common. And so one of them, for example, was the satanic, uh, ritual abuse accusations that emerged in daycares in the 1980s. And that was a consequence of women going into the workforce en masse, leaving their children with strangers and starting to have pathological fantasies about it, especially if they were borderline schizophrenic. And those fantasies propagated into the pop. So what he's comparing here is... Panic. Yeah, what he's, what he's comparing here is people <laughs> that are making shit up about people being satanic and comparing that to people... The, 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 the funny thing is that what he's done is create that very panic that he's talking about in our culture today with his arguments that like people that whole like oh you're gonna have a man come in and be in the bathroom with your uh daughter when like that's not like the, people are just pissing in the bathroom like this right. just, also <laughs> that whole panic Thing. Like this is this is that what he's doing right now is the you whole satanic panic. satanic panic because it's you're in inventing to trans people. Yeah, you're inventing fucking fake bullshit in your head to be scared about. Based on you say three hundred year old. So work. what does this have to do with creativity? <laughs>
300 year old work that like outlined, I'm sure that the work was probably well documented about the thing it was documenting, but that has nothing to do with people's gender identity and everything to do with the way people perceive other people's gender identity. You were talking about mm. creativity and people that are. Well, okay. So you see people with blue hair, the blue haired crowd. Uh-huh. Well, they're the same people that were doing tattooing and piercing. And they often are literally the same people because they have piercings. It's like, well, they have mutable identities. They're not, they're not stable in their identities. That's their, they're creative. Creative people, by definition, aren't stable in their identities. That's what makes them creative. Now, the downside of that is you can, creativity is a high-risk, high-return strategy. Your new idea is probably stupid and wrong. Getting and maybe tattoos it's fatal. and piercings is a lot but like now investing in stocks. now and then it's unbelievably mm -hmm. successful. How is and also how is now being and then, creative high risk high reward? Aren't you just creative without, or not creative? <laughs> so we have we always have this problem. Nothing we have to has value unless it creates. Because otherwise everything degenerates into chaos. Uh, but I don't even know what stability for. won't work. Uh, if you can't monetize past, it, what's the point? Technically different, different in a non deterministic way. It's actually different, and so then we have to figure out well how do we modify our memories or our traditions at a rate that enables us to keep up with the culture. And the answer to this is, in part, we let creative people play multiple games on the fringe, and some of them are radically successful, and then we copy them. So you think that a lot of what's going on with people that want to change their gender identity is creativity? No, I don't think so. So what do you, I know so. You know so. Yeah, that's not all of it, but that's definitely part of but it. But there are, for sure, a lot of people that transition um, and there has been work on this that shows that if they didn't transition they wanted to transition at one point in time and then they eventually wound up becoming gay men yeah this that's definitely males the case. to females yeah well it's right? confusing look i mean i also think by the way that part of what we're seeing in late adolescence with this insistence on the primacy of felt identity mm -hmm. is the re-emergence of suppressed fantasy play that should have taken place at, at, at between, say, three and five, that's been suppressed by the imposition of technological artifacts like television and phones and by the absence of free play among children who are hyper-supervised. So the fantasy play is imperative to develop your identity by trying out... Cell phones made my kid trans. Yeah. So what, what if that fantasy... So, like, playing this out... What if that fantasy play that he's talking about that happens in adolescence results in, and I'm saying what if as if like as if it's not the case, but it is because we we all form our own identity during development, like trans people, and I'm saying this not necessarily for you, but for the audience, trans people right. are gonna like develop that identity at the same time that we realize that you know you know the moment that you know you saw as as a young boy a woman that you found attractive on TV and like and yeah, before, before you're, you're awake aware <laughs> that you're straight before you even know what sex is. And we've already had to have this argument for decades about, about sexuality. And it's the same with gender. It's just like the same revamped argument over and over again, where they're like, Oh, well, no, it's a decision that you make and you don't have to make it. But like, right. for one, who cares if you don't have to make it, but, you're also wrong in that it's an innate trait like that that fantasy well, play leads you to what what you identify as and i don't even know what 
why he's making these arguments. The whole reason he brought this up is that he voted or pro- proposed opposing assuming uh, some bill that using, led yeah, to acceptance the, of trans kids using and his idea I, is yeah that, using pronouns in college yeah oh that's what it was yeah the bill that he's talking about was that uh the college at state universities in canada professors and stuff uh were required to use uh preferred pronouns for students what a monster and yeah that's what the yeah that's what ryan was talking oh my about God, in that this episode. is that one yeah Oh yeah. my god. When we listed that little girl and everything in that one episode that he gave us. Um yep. yeah, this this is what he's talking about. That's C16, where he's literally just going off, spending his whole life's work trying to fucking not use preferred pronouns because he's a dick. Um it's like profound <laughs> and he thinks cruelty. That being he thinks that if he's forced to use someone's preferred pronouns. That it will confuse a generation of women to think that they're men. (laughs) Because of satanic panic. (laughs) Jordan Peterson called that lady her. So I am a man now. That's Yeah. I like how it was a generation of women that he was saying would be confused, even though... Most well, people don't have a problem with trans men. They have a problem with trans women. So it's the generation of men that he's really concerned with because that's the one everybody complains about. You never hear anyone right. complaining about women transitioning to men because they're innately less problematic. Um, like, And that's mostly because of toxic masculinity. Ryan and I were talking about this yesterday, actually. Yeah. Because people who were born male transitioning to female were still born in the same toxic culture that tried to raise them as men and and you adopt some of those like beliefs about women, even if you're becoming one. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, it's just funny. That's that sexist language that he's just like, Oh, it would confuse a generation of women, even though he's never complained about no one on the right has ever complained about uh, women that transition to men. Insane. I don't, God, he is so dumb sometimes. It's the what's crazy is that coming from being raised to this type of like mentality, you like you know what you're doing. Like I, I remember whenever I was trying to like, because like I've been arguing my whole life and trying to make arguments to justify your own worldview when your worldview is shitty. Um, like, you know, somewhere deep down when you have to sit there and struggle to think of like, how do I respond to this argument? When you sit there and think about that, when you spend nights, like trying to come up with the best response to like, be the argument that that's how you know that your worldview is fucking wrong. When you have to like (laughs) fucking work really hard to justify maintaining your views. Like, make up entire ideas to help justify and support your already wrong idea and twist the way that everybody like oh well forcing me to do things is totalitarian but it's like no what we're doing is having you be nice and because like people are killing themselves because people are being not nice and it's as simple as that if anything we're trying to take away your almost italian power and authority to hurt other people with so, your actions. Yeah, especially yeah. when we know We're that- We're moving more of that hierarchy. It yeah, was like, it's like 60% less likely, teenage, trans teenagers are like 60% less likely to attempt suicide if their parents 
use their preferred pronouns or acknowledge their right. identity. Yeah, huge so amount. Like, like literally, you're just every every time you do something like what he's doing right now, you're just like firing a, a loaded gun into a crowd of teenagers and like every single time <laughs> like ref- every time you refuse to acknowledge someone's pronoun you're just firing a gun into a crowd of teenagers because one of them is going to die because that's statistically the significance of what you're doing here um, yeah. and he knows you're that giving you're He's, giving their has parents to ammunition that. and fuel to hurt their kids and family right and giving them an excuse for whenever that like an, an emotional out for when that teenager does kill themselves, like they can write it off as, you know, mental illness or whatever, because yeah. Jordan Peterson said so. Um, Peterson said they're mostly autistic. Their child would still be alive if they had just been nice. Yeah, just, just generally accepting of someone. Yeah, that, that's what's led me so far to the left. That like, it's just an easier worldview to maintain. Like, I don't have to, I have not spent, any time like struggling to like justify what i believe like yeah like the it's sometimes hard to think about like how we would go about altering the world we have now to fit into it like with money and and resources and stuff but like as far as i I don't have to morally justify anything when i go to sleep at night (laughs) like i want homeless people to not die of elements and exposure and i want people to not starve to death that's not i I don't have to spend any time thinking about that right that's just a good thing to to want what you have to do on the right way is sit there and spend time coming up with arguments for why it's okay to let people people dying but do they deserve to live if they if they're not going to work they don't deserve to eat right no fuck you (laughs) everyone deserves to eat I almost struck somebody at work the other day. I had I had to physically restrain myself because it was like one of the nicest people I work with too. I walked past them. I heard this. I don't know the context of the situation or the conversation, but I heard, "Well, they're all here, and I, they they just don't want to get a job. So I don't know why they're hungry. It's hungry. They just go work for it." I'm like, "Do you know how many applications I watched my old boss throw away?" Yeah, because a homeless person dropped it off, threw it right in the trash can. Countless times. Yep. Yeah. Monster. People aren't hired, especially they they say that people are hiring because there's like this worker shortage. But realistically, it seems more like companies are saying that they're hiring to make it to, to justify continuing to pay for the minimum amount of people um, for to maximize profits. Didn't I send you? that article about like a, a significant number of those jobs that are posted on or are like even available. real yeah they're not real they were justifications for the ppp loans yep uh they were required to hire or attempt to hire a certain number of positions to receive that loan and to not have to pay back a certain amount um additionally uh i will have to find it and i'll post it up at one point um as we have a note section for this one too the uh i think it was tennessee i could be wrong on that one of the eastern southern states uh had listed something like ten thousand jobs on their job website the tennessee government did uh so the poverty line in tennessee was somewhere around twenty thousand dollars a year and something like 80 to 90 percent of the jobs they posted were listed at 18,000 a year. 
So literally the vast majority of the jobs they were posting were at below the rate of poverty line. Um, like, hold hey, on. you can work, you will also still be in poverty. And uh, I'll look yourself up out up. of it. Hold but, up. What? I My shit's fucked up on my screen. Can you see me? Yeah, but we're like, oh, okay. our pictures are floating around, moving and following my mouse, and I don't know why. <laughs> Every, and my mouse is like crawling. <laughs> oh, God. Record on this camera. Cool. Yes, excited uh, to be. Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay, how's it going? Real fast. Yeah, the, uh, the Tennessee job board thing. Uh, Drew said that while Tennessee has about 250,000 jobs available, only 3% of those pay above the poverty line for a family of three. Yikes. Yeah, that's like the... uh, Yeah, the federal minimum wage won't get you, like, 40 hours a week won't get you an apartment anywhere in the United States. Right. Like, there's not a single state. Everybody talks about, like, oh, well, conservative states are cheaper to live in. So many jobs available. Still won't get you an apartment. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, uh, all right, let's continue. So, so when my, my son, uh, so when my son was about two, his sister was about three and had a little gaggle of, of friends and they used to dress him up like a fairy princess. And this didn't happen for like years. It happened for a couple of weeks, you know, and he was playing along and I went down there and I'm a Northern Albertan, you know, and so the gender roles there were fairly finely defined. And I was Ah, watching this, I I thought, is it really a good thing that he's like got wings on a little fairy hat and a wand and a dress is like, is that okay? And I talked to Tammy about it. I said, the girls are dressing Julian up like a princess. Um, And it kind of, I have qualms about it, and but I, but I, I'm not sure what to do because he was having a good time and he was playing with the girls. And well, well, what qualms would you possibly have about that? Because that, the, it, from my that's an excellent question. Oh, having daughters, <laughs> yeah, they they think it's funny to put me in a dress. Like, it is funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's uh, there was a dress that my wife was throwing out, and my daughters made me put it on. They yeah. forced me to, and they took pictures of me. Yeah, I bet so they, they thought, thought it was, was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. My wife, my my daughter decorated me up like a woman one day in her makeup class and right so what's wrong with that nothing right well that's just fun no well that's it that's what right? i concluded you know i thought well but why would you worry about anything else other than it being fun well probably because i had why was i worried about it wow i'm gonna take a i'm gonna take a drink for an excellent point by rogan i suppose because <laughs> i, I hope that his pathway towards adulthood would be normal <laughs> Yeah, sure, Ooh. sure. Normal biological Normal. male progression. To wow. Yeah, yeah. And so I saw American this playing, children. but then yeah. I thought, wow. I only had qualms for like about two hours. I went and thought Jesus about it. Jesus Christ. Thought, okay, what's going on here? Well, he's playing with the girls. Okay, should he play with girls? What yes. if my son just loves Definitely. himself? He should play with girls. Absolutely. Adult males How should play about with that? women. Like, what if my son be able enjoys his life and it's the not something sex. that I want him like, to do, so, but he so is he enjoying it? I don't want him to think he's Good. a woman because they're the weaker sex. Is he enjoying it? So. Yes. Are they bullying him? No. Are the girls enjoying it? Yes. That's all good. Okay, so what does it mean he's playing at being a girl? Oh, he's trying to understand what it means to be a girl. Well, how do you understand that when you're three or maybe when you're 50? 
you play at it, which means you allow that pattern of being to inhabit you and you experiment with it. Now, a lot of older transgender types, the late onset types, they're playing. They just don't know it. Now, they're often people who have a rigid identity. Mm-hmm. And part of their escape uh, from that rigid identity is to develop some of the characteristics that are typical of the opposite They're just sex. having fun they need it. getting death threats from people all the there time. There is a term you know? um, for yeah. a man Good old fashioned who fun. derives a lot of sexual well, pleasure. He's heterosexual, but he derives sexual— I think it's sexual... autogynephilia. Yes, that's it. Yeah, but I and think that, the sexual— explain, explain, yeah. Fully explain that. Yeah, it's, well, it's... I, don't, I don't think it does. I think the reason they derive— se- because the question is, why do they derive sexual pleasure? Finish the sentence. You're not finishing the yeah. sentence. Like, explain what we're saying. Yeah, well, they, they, they derive sexual pleasure. They would get turned on by seeing themselves in the clothes of women. Yes. Or feeling it. Yes. But I think the, re- the sexual instinct That's is directed towards person. That's not only not you... the same thing, but there's like a whole bunch of different things. Like, so there, there's, there's like drag, which is not. Which is not it's, the same as what he's it's saying. It's not sexual in nature, even. No, and then there, and then there is that, but that's also not trans. Um, <laughs> right. Neither of those, none of those things like, apply. It's weird because, like, what they're saying that they're saying things that exist, and like they're well, saying they're, things that are also, legitimate, but they're applying them wrong. <laughs> it feels like they're they're trying. They're almost alluding to like trans people almost being like. A, a kink even yeah yeah like it's, it's a sexual fetish not literally just their identity right it's literally just who they play, are calling it play yeah right oh well it's called like guys who get turned on by wearing panties no they're not no, not like that at all aroused by being trans that's not what what how, how no yeah it's not like they don their like like, again yeah they're making it seem like if you allow kids to see and identify with trans people in public that's dirty and now sexual perversion not just a lady in a store yeah it's the same people who are like oh pride parades are full of sex yeah 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 we can't allow people to have pride parades Right. Yeah, this is this is not a pleasant <sighs> turn in this conversation. No, sure isn't. Now the <laughs> this has come a long way from term. crying so about music. Part of the yeah. process of personality expansion, in the deep psychoanalytic sense, is first you're a persona, or first you're nothing. Then you develop a persona, which is a way of presenting yourself in a socially acceptable way to the world. And maybe you confuse yourself with your persona. Now, you've had conversations with people on your podcast who are stiff and you can't get a dynamic conversation going. That's because they're acting out their persona. You're not really talking to them. You're talking to an act that they've constructed. It's a puppet. An act that they've constructed to make themselves socially acceptable to the world. And sometimes. Maybe sometimes it's just anxiety. Yeah, sure. It can be anxiety too. But then yeah, often, you're on a four-hour-long podcast, people will revert to their the persona because mm, it's a well-rehearsed podcast routine on Earth, and that they know is socially acceptable. Uh, or the guy who okay, might so fact check Jungians, you at any second. The first step no, has done very little. Jung was the chef. Carl Jung, Carl Jung Carl actually done any fact checking. No, but he has challenged the shit out of everything he said. So he this is that. I feel like he would have fact checked at least one of the statistics he's been throwing out. Yeah. Because, like, cursory Google searches proved him wrong on a bunch of those. 
Right. Yeah, that that whole percentage of YouTube thing could have been right. easily fact-checked. I feel like it worked in Rogan's favor because Rogan also has a predominantly young white man. Yeah, he had a reason not to fact-check that. (laughs) Students have better, better terminology. Was discovery of the shadow. Oh, I thought I was the good person here. But it turns out that I've got like some darkness. And you often see this with, imagine you have hyper-compassionate people who are dependent. And they won't engage in conflict, so they're always oppressed. And so then when you talk to them, you find out they're really, really resentful and they have a lot of fantasies of revenge, like a lot. And so then you work with them and you think, okay, you have something to say and do here. You've got some harsh words to say, maybe to your partner. You've got some things to say to your boss. You got to spine up and say it. And that's part of incorporating that, especially aggression. So agreeable people compassionate people don't like aggression but like how did he get like here from it's dangerous but the cross-dressing it's necessary thing? and so you want to integrate it and if you don't it has it uh it's a good question <laughs> we don't have to find out yeah that's a good question i have no idea how well, he did that let's yeah. fully explain that yeah it's, well it's... i don't i don't think it does i think the re the That's sexual right. instinct is directing them towards personality expansion. I look at it in Jungian terms. So part of the process of personality expansion in the deep psychoanalytic sense is first you're a persona or first you're nothing. Then you develop a persona, which is a way of presenting yourself in a socially acceptable way to the world. And maybe you confuse yourself with your persona. Now you've had conversations with people on your podcast who are stiff and so he, can't get a dynamic conversation going. That's is he just describing how persona. a person becomes a You're person really now? You're talking to them. You're talking to an act that they've yeah, constructed. Yeah, the development of, personal- of yeah, personality. constructed to make themselves yeah. socially acceptable to the world. And sometimes, maybe sometimes it's just anxiety. Yeah, sure. It can be anxiety too. But then often under anxious conditions, high, so people he, will revert to their personality. Because it's a well-rehearsed set of routines. Like, wait, and that they know is acceptable. <laughs> Okay, so for the Jungians, the first step outside oh, the persona God. was the shadow. Carl Jung, Carl Jung yeah. followers of Carl, Carl okay. Jung, or Here we go. better better terminology, was discovery of the shadow. Oh, I thought I was the good person here, but it turns out that I've got like some darkness. And you often see this with, imagine you have hyper-compassionate people who are dependent, and they won't engage in conflict, so they're always oppressed. And so then when you talk to them, you find out they're really, really resentful and they have a lot of fantasies of revenge, like a lot. And so then you work with them and you think, okay, you have something to say and do here. You've got some harsh words to say, maybe to your partner. You've got some things to say to your boss. You got to spine up and say it. And that's part of incorporating that, especially aggression. So Agreeable people, compassionate people don't like aggression. But like, that's like not liking sex. It's dangerous. But it's necessary. And so you want to integrate it. And if what? you don't, it has its own life. Wait, sex is dangerous? Or fear of sex is dangerous? I think he said, se- I think he meant sex is dangerous. It's like not liking sex. It's dangerous, but it's necessary. I think... I think the sex is not great. 
I don't, I don't really know how sex is innately dangerous, but I mean, you can make it dangerous, but (laughs) it doesn't, I don't, I don't feel like it's innately dangerous, especially if the alternative is like, it's, it's dangerous, but necessary. The danger is having kids, but if that's the necessity, then that's not really the danger. (laughs) You know, you see people all the time who they're so nice. You can't even be in the same room with them. They're that nice, (laughs) but they're, I do feel that they're resentful <laughs> and passive aggressive. They take it out in all sorts of ways, partly because they're always unhappy. They're often moralistically judgmental because they're not saying what I they feel have like to he's say. He's describing two different kinds shadow. of people. So that was part of it. And it, the like shadow nice is consists or... of, in part, all the things about you that you've deemed morally so unacceptable it feels and failed like he's to projecting develop. his view so of people who are better than him. Often. Yeah. Sometimes oh, they're not really carrying compassion. Often. They actually so manifest itself in people. It feels like this whole thing is a projection of like the left. Like, yeah, that's actually where I was kind yeah, of going with that. Yeah, yeah, these are compassionate people, but really they're just hate fueled and they hate they're because I'm white. Passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. They're saying mean things to me. They want but nice revenge because of all of the oppression that I, my kind, has given them. They're constantly oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. This is, he's making an archetype here. He's making his own archetype here. Yeah. Impulsive, aggressive sexuality, say under conditions of alcohol intoxication, when it leaks out. Aggressive, so, meaning mm-hmm. like rough sex. Mm-hmm. Compul- yeah, forced, forced. So you're talking about yeah, rape? Yeah, definitely forced. So you mean like rape? Thank you. Well, or or it doesn't have to go all the way to rape. It can be like over aggressive sexual uh, compulsion in the in a dating situation so does that so account date rape? for um certain men that like violence in their sex like they like abuse in their sex like, yes because there's a subset of men that like to hit women during sex yeah. and a lot of them turn out to be these like kind of male feminist types which is really strange no it's not but, it, but it's, exactly it's really what stra- you'd strange on the outside. Definitely. Find out- it's strange to those men, too, because it's often it's very unsettling for them to see, you know, in the Again, cloud of their like niceness and their harmlessness. Them not understanding what BDSM deep, is. Dark desire. Or they're equating it- BDSM with actual violence. Um, well, yeah, and, then, and to link this up with his previous statement of nice people who are actually harboring aggression and stuff. Yeah, he's making it seem like, well, that man's not really a feminist. He likes to beat women in bed. Yeah, and it's not surprising yeah. that he likes that. And it's like, mm. yeah. you should you shouldn't trust any man who likes women and supports women's rights. Yeah, because they probably beat women in bed. Yeah, yeah, which is not only a weird generalization, but also just like psychologically incorrect. <laughs> right. itself manifest. Do you remember that case of that Canadian broadcaster who was this guy who was like really talks like this, very calm. Very, and then a bunch of women came out that dated him, said he beat the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. And he would want to beat them up during sex. Mm-hmm. Like, really beat them up. Mm-hmm. Like punch them in the face. And yeah, stuff. well, you know, it's an open question how much assertiveness there should be in sex. And that but the, that's the not, answer's zero. No, I'm yeah. not, not saying that feels more like that an issue of, Let me be absolutely yeah, well, clear always here. Been. Well, I was that's just not saying that's a man with power assertive. abusing it. No, it's not. Yeah. It's 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 repressed. It's repressed. It's it's what's repressed. There's no clearer way of saying it. It's like, look, what, look, men. <laughs> many men are terrified of women. Many, and so that what? terror might uh, manifest itself again, projecting even in a relationship. 
in the inability to ever let their the partner know what they really want. They're terrified for what reason? Because of rejection? rejection? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the See, feelings of it now. I was going to say, like, they're not terrified of women. Like, we've been socially conditioned to be terrified of rejection, but, like, that's not gay people experience that too like that's not a gender <laughs> thing that that that's a that's an issue of like not wanting to go home alone <laughs> adequacy that produces often mm. which are necessary they're necessary right right I, I was trying to explain this to a friend once where we had a friend of ours who had developed what seemed to be like a real hate for women mm -hmm. And he wasn't an attractive guy. And so we were having this conversation, oh. and I said, imagine <laughs> all of your interactions with women hurt your feelings. And you're not a very thoughtful and introspective person. You would immediately associate women with negative feelings, and you'd be angry about them. And that's what's happening to that guy. He got a yeah. bad roll of the dice in terms of his facial features and his genes. It just wasn't that good. And so yeah. he was not – girls were not interested in him. So right. he had developed this anger. And it was right. It was shocking. Yeah. Welcome to the human race. It's shocking. Yeah. To, well, that's incels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not even incels. It's like, <laughs> okay. So I'll finish one thought because okay. we were talking about yeah. transsexualism. Yeah. Hold on. I need to process that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> Why are they talking about incels? Oh, women. Oh, hating women. So, yeah. Uh, hating women, beating women, being a feminist. But then they're bringing a real, a real life person they know. He just hates women. This is really muddy because the, the really live person they know that hates women it hates them because he doesn't get sex. But like, then they were just talking about violence during sex. So, like, what, what exactly are we talking about? And then they just glossed right over the whole rape thing. <laughs> right. Um, he said, <laughs> that's rape. Right and then that. Peterson was like, well, no, it's assertiveness and dating. And then like, well, okay, that's, that's still rape. Are we not going to call that rape? Uh, <laughs> like, I, <wanna, laughs> I want to go back in time and poke my head in behind that curtain and be like, uh, that's rape, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. So the second stage of development in the Jungian sense, is the integration of counter-sexual possibilities. Gotta, so when I, gotta I just avoid incel talk because they want to. Phoenix in Joker. I don't want to rile, up, rile up either of their he's fan bases. A very charismatic actor, and I was thinking, well, God, because he carried that whole movie on, on single-handedly. It's a dark, dark movie, and it has to do with resentment. This mm -hmm. man who was forced to be nice by his mother, yeah. you know, who turns out to be absolutely crazy and abused him like mad when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. and, and then he becomes this role model for the dissemination of complete catastrophe into the entire society. It's a story of Cain in, in part, but Phoenix really carries that, and part of the reason that he does that what is because he, he creates about? a compelling character who's sympathetic. Like he is he talking about the Joker? He said Phoenix, like Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, but I mean, is Joker's mom even in that? In the movie? Uh, yeah. I remember him being in the hospital, like watching I her die. I vaguely recall it. I don't, I don't remember how big a role it played, but I remember his mom being a part of it. I remember the bigger part being the uh, not getting to maintain his medication because America. Right. I'm going I'm to take a couple back 15s. Very charismatic actor. And I was One thinking more. in the Jungian sense is the integration of counter-sexual 
I'm so glad we didn't uh, add Jung to the drinking rules. Oh, so God. Was, yeah. So when I, I just watched uh, uh, Joachim Phoenix in Joker. There it is. Mm-hmm. So I missed that. He's, I missed oh, him saying okay. that. He's a yeah, yeah. very charismatic actor. And I was thinking, well, God, because he carried that whole movie on, on single-handedly. It's a dark, dark movie, and it has to do with resentment. This mm-hmm. man who was forced to be nice by his Mediocre. mother. Yeah. You know, it has who turns out to be crazy and abused him it's like just, mad when he was a kid. This is lazy taxi and, and, and driver. And he becomes this role model for the dissemination of complete catastrophe into the entire society. It's a story of Cain in, in part. But Phoenix really carries that, and part of the reason that he does that is because he creates a compelling character who's sympathetic. Like, you can be sympathetic to him because he really did have a hard life. Like <laughs> He was yeah, mentally really ill. But Phoenix <laughs> yeah. is an extraordinarily charismatic person, partly because he's so unbelievably, he's masculine in his features and carved, <laughs> but he's so graceful. Hot gay. Every single thing he does in the entire movie is a dance. Like, he's conscious of every single movement he makes. Every turn of his head is conscious it's dance-like and you can't take your eyes off it and a lot of stellar performers had that ability to is he gonna rant about dancing again ability to integrate that feminine grace into their masculine character you saw that with bowie david bowie you saw it with mick jagger glam rockers were gender benders long mm-hmm. hair a lot of flashy outfits and and they did show and they were, they, I can't get over the fact that they're that he's confusing feminine traits with transsexuality. Oh uh, yeah. I don't like that's what he's doing. That's what he's been doing this for the last yeah, uh, he I feel keeps like we're not that far, for the last 25 which minutes. Is, again, <laughs> that makes this almost weirder, not weirder, but like, it is curious that he he led this conversation with no, you, you don't have to be trans, like you just you know, men can be feminine, women can be masculine. I'm very feminine myself. And then he talks about how feminine all these other men are, but like and none of that, that has to do with to being trans. Right. None of that is has to Jordan do with Peterson, gender identity. It feels like he actually, I know this is a weird stereotype of like, especially conservative men, you know, gay bashing and becoming gay, but it, it does seem a little bit like Peterson was not allowed to explore, to explore the child, his own, to, to play in his own words. In fact, and that resentment build, and he's yeah. harboring like confusion about his own identity because of this now. And so he projects that and anger it, on, yeah, that's the people that have been allowed like. that have been allowed to. No, y'all can't. That's why he doesn't want to yourselves. use pronouns because uh, other people's preferred pronouns because he wasn't allowed to explore prona- his own pronouns, right. Like in a, in, a, in a serious way, though, like that's this is what it feels like. like. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what happened, but no, it does, yeah. it does have that vibe of the uh, of, of the he's, he's Republican politician. Entire, he's been projecting the entire time, like the whole the nihilism thing in the last episode we did. Uh, uh yeah, his hatred for like his hatred for like leftism, which is just. His hatred for liberals that he's then attached this like fucking this he made up a guy this boogie <laughs> yeah this boogeyman <laughs> archetype that he's created they it's say they're like, nice they're always doing nice things but really they oh, want you to hate kill how nice they them. are but they're so angry and oppressed and yeah. oppressed yeah uh, it's a really weird tangent they're on. They, were, they weren't exactly androgynous. That's not the right way to think about it. 
is oh, they manifested a higher... <laughs> Have you seen Peacemaker yet? Yeah, you have, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 80s rockers were real men. They weren't afraid to dress and be like women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the screw white power. Rock and roll's where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Continue. especially yeah the whole yeah. this whole thing with like david bowie and everything and even even joaquin phoenix like he's described it reminds me of like this conversation i had with my dad actually recently uh not recently like well, i guess that COVID has blurred time a year or two ago now um <laughs> but uh we were talking about how like uh like hip-hop artists that sing like hard gangster rap lyrics but like they have choreography in their videos like you never think yeah. about the fact that that's a man who practiced dancing for hours hours like, yeah like like that is one of the most feminine traits you could have for like somebody who's singing about you know whatever gangster rap shit um <laughs> that he was that he like him and all of the people in that video were dancing one two three one two three one two three <laughs> for he hours had a dance instructor very likely days yeah <laughs> and, and, and the, just to be able to get that music I mean, video out and even though the music video yeah. looks hard thinking about like the fact that like he had to have a makeup rehearsal the, yeah the lighting the <laughs> choreography all of it's very like quote-unquote feminine and so like the whole idea that like gender roles are solidified and that like he's He's destroying that argument right now by talking about like some of those popular men in all of history that had very, very feminine traits, um, including himself. And so like, I don't understand why the disconnect exists where it's like, okay, so if it's such a blurry yeah, line. It's so acceptable to, have to blur that line between gender norms, but don't go too far. You can't identify. Yeah. 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 There's a spectrum, but you're only allowed to go so far on that spectrum and you're not allowed there's, there's to be non-binary. I like how for him, gender can be defined by very, very broad terms and aspects, but it's still hardline binary. Men and women. Yeah. 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 There's no separating them, but also you can't really describe either of them. Right, because very, there's very, very plenty of women that are like basically men, and there's plenty of men that are basically women, and there's lesbians that are also, also men. definitely and, just men and women and nothing else. And still, so. again, <laughs> ignoring the people that are born with both sets of genitals. Insane. Higher order integration of masculine and feminine, and that made them that made them charismatic because that's Prince, he's the Prince, best. Prince, sure, sure, that. sure, sure, yeah, sure, and so. That's that's high order integration, and I would say that part of the compulsion be, between adult onset transsexuality of the autogynephalic type is a consequence of the sexual no. instinct manifesting itself as a guide to the. You, you can't, you can't give, <laughs> you can't give a philia type to transsexuality. That's not a thing. Like. He should know better. He, of all people, should know better that the autogynephilia type, that's not something you can ascribe. You could say, I don't even like adult onset, tra like transsexuals. That's just like coming out as an adult. Like, it's, it's not like they haven't been transsexual their whole life. That's oh, just when you were afflicted with it is what it makes it sound like. Well, yeah, but it's like sounds like sudden onset. Like all of a sudden, I just realized as an adult, I was a woman the whole time. Like, no, that's not. But no. they're not. They knew their entire the entire yeah. fucking time 
they just, as an adult, was the first time they became comfortable expressing it. Um, probably because the people, the oppressors they had in their life that they were concerned about finally died. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and the, 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 yeah. bag dad's finally the, gone. The so parents now. or grandparents <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, to, to not only say, a, like, I don't even like the term adult onset because that's not how identity works. Um, but then to associate it with a type that's aphelia. It like feels like a term either he made up or he saw once and has latched on to. Well, there's plenty of things that are adult times. onset, but but I mean, identity is not one of them. Yeah, 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 it's like he co-opted like like adult like it, it's like saying adult braces like something. It's like like uh, <laughs> it's really weird for him to say that when that's not. I I feel like I don't know for a fact. Uh, I've not researched it, but I, I feel like nobody uses that terminology to describe gender identity, uh, like in an academic sense. Right. And I feel like, well, and definitely not in a social sense, because the, like the fact that we haven't ever heard it before right now means that it's not used socially. We're we're permanently on Twitter, so we would have heard it. Right <laughs> yes. <now>. Um, but <laughs> in an academic sense, I feel like it can't possibly be the case because that's not how identity works, and. Uh, then then yeah attaching it of the i don't even care what you're gonna say with the philia you could say any type of philia and it doesn't matter like attaching that to an identity is a problem in and of itself yeah like like a philia is a condition like that that you're that that's a state of like your brain um what you're attract like what you want to do with your genitals has nothing to do with how you identify inside yourself like exactly Right. It, it feels like he's lumping them together intentionally because it's yeah. easier to make them into sex pests rather than just allow them to exist. Yeah, yeah you can't let trans people in the bathroom because they like being trans people. Oh, being yeah. assaulted. Familiar with Douglas Murray's work? Yes, yeah. and of, Murray, who's yeah. very funny, who I like very much, and who's one of the most courageous people I've ever met. Yeah, he's brilliant. And he had uh, an this amazing guy's a monster, point isn't about he? I can only imagine collapsing. <laughs> And that when they start collapsing, they become obsessed with gender. Oh, and yeah, he he's a monster. It, 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 you could trace it back to the ancient Romans, the Greeks. Yeah, Camille the ancient Kelly Romans. Hold on. The ancient Romans collapsed because of their adoption of Christianity. The la <laughs> one of the last things they did was have Constantine <laughs> sanction the Bible. Um, so to say that Rome fell because of like, gayness or or gender like stuff that was there all along the romans were very very comfortable with their pantheon of gods and their pantheon of sexualities um it wasn't until christianity was introduced into the roman empire that the roman empire fell yeah i think also I looks think like he did a video on so an obsession with lockdown obsession as a prelude to total collapse if it continues so he Oh, anti-COVID anti safety measures? Yeah. Uh, Fox. Fox. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks like he's garbage. Oh, oh, super courageous. He's on Fox. So brave. <laughs> Gender, it's a disintegration of categories as a precursor. Like, so it's an, a marker for if categories dis, 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 dissolve, especially fundamental ones, the culture is dissolving because the culture is a structure of category. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Right. So, and in fact, culture is a culture is a structure of category that we all share. 
So we see things the same way. Well, that's why we can talk. I mean, not exactly the same way, because then we'd have nothing to talk about. But roughly speaking, we have a bedrock of agreement. No. Uh, that's the Bible, by the way. What? Wait, what? This man's an atheist. <laughs> this man has been anti-religion his entire... What the fuck? That's not true. That's, like, objectively not true. Like, that... The bedrock of American civilization is is not the Bible. It never oh was. It literally never was. If you actually know history and not just whitewashed American like uh, propaganda, like the founding fathers weren't that into it. They just didn't want to be Catholic. Like <laughs> they were also a bunch of frat boys that didn't want to pay taxes and were just assholes. Like, like <laughs> fuck the founding fathers, honestly. Um, but like, quote, <laughs> predominantly. The only thing that I would say, like, that their redeeming quality was, was that they're not Christian founding fathers. <laughs> like, they didn't build this nation on the gospel. Like, that, that's that's their most redeeming quality. And that's, like, <laughs> funny that that's gotten blurred to where that's the only thing that Christians believe is that the founding fathers built this on Christianity specifically and that we have yeah. to honor that. Jesus himself came down. There were just a bunch of assholes. <laughs> like, and don't get me wrong, we're a bunch of assholes, but uh, we're, we're not slave owners, though. Yeah, we're not slave owners, <laughs> and we're not like like classist, and we're not. Yeah, there's there's plenty, like a different different breed of bunch of assholes. But they were <laughs> a bunch of assholes. We're a bunch of assholes, and the common thread between ADD News and the founding fathers is that we don't believe that this country should be founded on Christian <laughs> ideals. <laughs> And I will die on that hill. <laughs> that quote is going to get us on Fox News. <laughs> uh, we're taking the... Easy News, just like the Founding Fathers. <laughs> just like the Founding Fathers in the... <laughs> Fuck God. <laughs> Anyways. Sure, is okay. dissolving. Because the culture is a structure of category. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Right. So, and in fact, culture is, a culture is a structure of category that we all share. So we see things the same way. Well, that's why we can talk. I mean, not exactly the same way, because then we'd have nothing to talk about. But roughly speaking, we have a bedrock of agreement. Uh, that's the Bible, by the way. Eat shit and die. <laughs> So I just walked through the Museum of the Bible in Washington. That was very cool. It's a very oh, cool museum. Yeah. So the structure, that's what the Bible Yeah, that's what provides. I figured out. I've been, I just figured this out this week. Oh, So God. it was a cool, it was a cool thing to walk through. Adult onset because brain worms. It's, it's chronological. <laughs> they have one floor, which is the history of the Bible. Mm, but it's so not bullshit. exactly that. It's really what it is, is the history Propaganda. of the book. Now, in many ways, the first book was the Bible. I mean, literally. Because what? at one point, there was only one book, like as far as our Western culture is concerned, there was one book. So he just totally, he, he won. I would love to go to the, oh my God, hold on. I need to figure out how I'm going to say all of this. Wow, it's a lot of, a lot of thoughts that entered my head all at once. Okay. So first, whatever this fucking museum is, is full of propaganda bullshit. And he said- the history of the Bible and didn't immediately follow that up with the Bible wasn't written until 350 years after Jesus's death by a Roman emperor. Um, 
And two, when it was assembled by a Roman emperor 350 years after Jesus's death, it was, that's, that's not the first book. There were, there were plenty of books. In fact, all of the letters that he assembled to make the Bible and all of the letters that he omitted during the creation of the Bible were books <laughs> that had existed for 350 years. That is, that's what, 100 years longer than the United States? <laughs> um, so, so the entire history of the United States, tack on an entire century to that, and then you found some letters from the beginning of that time from the se- so in a hundred years, you'll find letters from the 1700s, assemble those not knowing who really wrote them, what they were written about or who they were written to, or even know if they're the actual original letters and decide that that's the first book. Go ahead. First book ever written, Epic of Gilgamesh. Well, yeah, like, I mean... <laughs> I, we all, everyone has to have known that, but like, cause like, that's the first thing they teach you when you build memories in school is like the Epic of Gilgamesh was the first book ever written. Um, and then they, <laughs> and that's where you learn that the flood story is not unique to the Bible. Um, nope. which means that it couldn't possibly have been the way the Bible portrayed it because if another culture wrote about it, that means someone else had to survive. Um, <laughs> So yeah. Anyways, this is um, this is insane. Yeah, I I, oh I don't know. God. I don't know if I'm disappointed or glad that Ryan's not here. It's <laughs> it's somewhere between the two. Like he's gonna lose his shit. Him screaming, we'd what? be we'd be five what? hours in already if Ryan was here. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, wow! The first book ever written. All right. Okay. I feel like I owe four drinks to the game at this point. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. On that note, I need more beers before we start. Heard. All right. <sighs> you ready? Yes. Let's do it. How much longer we got? We still got a half hour left to get through. Holy hell! And for a while, literally, there was only one book writings on papyrus and but it was we were starting to aggregate written text together and it went through all sorts of technological transformations and then it became books that everybody could buy the book everybody could buy and the first one of those was the bible and then it became all sorts of books that everybody could buy is he equating this with the printing press in some sense emerged out of that was the bible the first book that we printed on the printing press Because that actually wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. That actually sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, the Gutenberg Bible. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. No, wait. Uh, Fifty Shades of Green was the first book. (laughs) The oldest known printed text is from china uh the diamond sutra a buddhist book i think the okay. gutenberg bible is because the guy the who first invented, like bound i guess I, I think i think it's like the famous first book 
like the modern day Prince the and first Press. distributed yeah 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 they're like yeah, not like not like bound together Again, by months you, or anything that only works if you apply a bunch of like asterisks to everything right like which the is just book, the story of or the, even fucking... like the first printed book or like really it's the first printed book in america mass produced <laughs> well, german yeah that's mass produced or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. And it, even it, it was in western latin. culture it was mass latin. <laughs> like come on at a time when everyone was illiterate <laughs> <laughs> i can't <laughs> fractal longness and that right. book itself the bible isn't a book it's a library it's a collection oh. of books and so That's... i mean what i figured out was don't call it a library <laughs> brother-in-law jim keller who's the world's greatest chip designer and has now designed a chip that's as powerful Ooh, as the chip. human brain, which is optimized for artificial intelligence learning, by the way. And so I talked to him about that. He said, you heard of the internet? I said, yeah, Jim, I've heard of the internet. He said, this is way more revolutionary than that. So in any case, we were talking about meaning in text because we're supposed talking to be about surprised by that problem i know how our artificial intelligence Jim works. said the meaning of words is coded in the relationship of for the no words. reason hey i know a guy who's involved in ai <laughs> that's bigger than the internet well yeah i mean artificial intelligence is going to be bigger than the internet so i guess you could say right. that about it now but like <laughs> artificial learning takes years so it's not like not like we're gonna do anything with that anytime soon <laughs> in fact i paid a whole bunch of money for the artificial learning to study six hours of my voice <laughs> and still got a mediocre rendition to be fair <laughs> when i used like one sentence or whatever it did a really good job of mimicking my voice on d oh, yeah i remember that yeah yeah, yeah. but if uh, i tried to get it to do a paragraph of text and it was monotone as fuck. And I, <laughs> I, I am not monotonous. <laughs> like, if there's one thing I can jerk myself off about, it's that I'm not monotonous in my tone. <laughs> uh, so yeah, artificial learning has a ways to go because I paid a whole bunch of money for that feature. And it, I tried putting like commas. I tried putting like period, 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 period. Like it would not All pause. Caps. It would not pause for anything. <laughs> so anyway to one another and the postmodernists make that case that all meaning is derived from the relationship between words that's, that's wrong because well what about rage that's not words and what about moving your hand that's not words so it's wrong mm, but, but part of it's right because whatever the meaning we derive from the verbal domain is encoded in the relationship between words so so now then I mean, you think, yeah. well, let's think about the relationship words are between words. words. Well, some words, words are, are words. On other, <laughs> no, words have meaning. The more word ideas word. are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea is. By de that's a definition of fundamental. So now imagine you have an aggregation of texts in a civilization. You say, which are the fundamental texts? And the answer is the texts upon which most other texts depend. And so you'd put Shakespeare way in there in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare's literary revelations. Okay. And Milton would be in that category and Dante would be in that category, at least in uh, translation. I guess. Fundamental authors, part of the Western canon, not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, but because those texts influenced more other texts. And then you think about that as a hierarchy, okay? It's an MLM. With the Bible at its base. 
which is no. certainly the case. No. Nope. Now imagine that's the entire corpus of ling of linguistic. You're telling me that Shakespeare's base was the Bible. You're telling me that the Bible was the influence for Shakespeare. You're on crack. You're on crack. Again, it's this like weird Western, like whitewashed view of literature. Uh, this is why we need critical race theory, because this is fucking wrong. <laughs> like somebody tell him the perspective of history from someone that's not white. I don't fucking, I can't tell you what the fuck. Yeah, there were like four great people. They were all white, European. Um, and they were, they all the happened to be the in the Middle East and they were <laughs> authors of the Bible, but they were very American. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's everything. Speaking of, I want to, I want to, for Ryan's sake, include this. He was, we were talking last night and he, uh, while he was streaming Elden Ring for five hours. Um, and he... Uh, Next episode. He informed me of the origin of the word atheist. Do you know the origin of the word atheist? The, the When it was first developed? This has got oh. a very... For, for a hint, it's got a very uh, Christmas special vibe to it. <laughs> was it a Catholic adoption? To combat people who kept calling themselves theists? I don't know. No, it's, so it started in Rome, where everyone was polytheistic. Ah. And, and ah. all of a sudden, this branch of religious people came about that they were, because Rome would go about conquering nations and then be like, you're cool to keep worshiping your God. You just have to incorporate our God and our gods into your pantheon. And everybody was like, cool, that's fine. So all of a sudden yeah. they ran into these people who were like, no, we only believe this one God and it's against our religion to believe in any other God. And they didn't know what to do with it or what to call it. And so atheist was the word they created <laughs> for early Christians who refused to be polytheistic. Um, <laughs> so Christians are the original atheists. <laughs> because they're like, and you they're have the same origin stories we do. Your gods have the same, like, like, yeah, the Greeks over there, they have the same basic God structure that we've got as the Romans, like the same stories and shit, just different names. Like, and you've got those exact same fucking stories too. Um, why won't you just accept I mean, the fact that Zeus Jesus is watered down Buddha anyways? Well, this is this was this would be like pre-Jesus becoming like God oh, uh, oh. a part of the theism. Uh because this was this would be Judaism um in its origins and its roots. Because like this is the Roman Empire conquering people and finding a people that were like, nah, we've we've got the one and he's the only one. He said no other gods before me, which implies the existence of other gods, but like we can't we're, we can't acknowledge any other gods. No, loud. That's and the too. Romans were like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you literally have the same stories we do, the same stories every other fucking country on the planet does. Like, why don't you just fucking grow, grow the fuck up? And so the first cringe atheists were the Christians <laughs> that the Romans didn't know what to do with. They were like, I guess oh, they're man. atheists because they won't believe in our gods, even though we conquered them. I don't know what to do about it. Um, <laughs> so, That's perfect. Yeah. So that is that is the origin of the word atheist, which is just as perfect as the origin of Merry Christmas. <laughs>
Anyway, <laughs> let's continue. Big production, all things considered. Now, how do you understand that? Like, literally, how do you understand that? The answer is, you sample it by reading and listening to stories and listening to people talk. You sample that whole domain. You build a low-resolution representation of that in your, inside you. And then you listen and see through that. And so it isn't that the Bible is true. It's okay. that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth. Stop it. Which makes it way more true it's than just true. The Bible's it's not original in like any and I way. Think this is, I think this is not, not only literally like, like I just said, all of the stories in the Bible are rip-offs like, of pre-existing gods. If you gods. go back far, again, like Epic of, Gil Epic of Gilgamesh, like, no, that's the Noah's Ark story. Like hero story. But then like, um, what is it, like a Zoroastrianism was like one of the earliest religions that involved like a good and evil God, so, Satan and God and all that jazz. Right, that predates Christianity and Judaism, even like and nothing about this is all original. All the names of angels and demons in the Bible were actually hijacked from the names of deities, sub deities, and other cultures. That's something else like, I learned fairly recently. Like, like the origin of the, of the say, names for Gabriel and stuff. You can't say the Bible is the root of like truth or the baseline. Especially with these are all hero stories. None of them, like that's like saying the the epic of Gilgamesh is the basis of truth, and that you can't have truth without it. Like, no, yes, the fuck you can. <laughs> the epic like, of Gilgamesh didn't have iPhones in it. That's a truth that I've got right now that fucking Gilgamesh didn't. Oh yeah, you're a hero. Why don't you fucking tweet about fucking tweet about sexy it. times? Yeah, yeah, hero. Why don't you tweet a dick pic out, hero? I don't fucking the, the, you, assuming that the only truth that we have has a basis in not only ancient texts but in the Bible is just such a profoundly fucking ignorant fucking statement. I can't. <sighs> hit play. Yep. Hit place. It's hit play. Actually, I think it can't be any other way. It's the only way we can solve the problem of perception. You say the precondition of the manifestation of truth? Yeah. What do you mean by that? How do you know when what you and I are saying is true? Because you know. on what we're saying. Not exactly. You right? know this, Joe. The fact that you're so popular, <laughs> this is a mystery. <laughs> and I've been tweeting about it while people have been attacking you. It's Why a mystery so people like He's you, a gateway Joe. to the alt-right. It's like, no, he's a psychedelic hippie. That's a stupid, that's a stupid hypothesis. That's wrong. Joe's well, he's like a propagandist. Mm. It's like, <laughs> no, I am kind of a psychedelic hippie. Joe's an honest man. You could be and a psychedelic hippie says and an honest. What he believes to be true, but let's think about that. You can also that. be a gay that to isn't right exactly and be honest. Do. Right? He's just dummy. <laughs> you follow the conversation and you listen, and you spontaneously manifest words that. I think we need to make a new union archetype book for all of the archetypes of the right of the alt-right <laughs> like you've got peterson the fucking dummy that accidentally leads men to their destruction <laughs> you've got the uh you've got rogan who seems to be trying his best but just is, is like i don't know maybe drug addled the the drug <laughs> not what do you even call him an addict just like he's just got too many drugs floating around to make any fucking to have the influence he has 
I guess I'll They're say. They're fighting their way out. <laughs> and then you've got like Tucker, the propagandist, and then you've got like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh God. We, we could make a whole new set of union archetypes based on the alt-right as it exists today. <laughs> Indicate your reaction. And it isn't the words themselves exactly that are true because you might be wrong and you might be right, right? I mean, what do you know or what I know? We're going to be wrong Bible a bunch know? during this conversation. Or the authors of the Bible know. But the process that we're manifesting in the discovery of truth and untruth, that's not wrong. That's exactly right. And you know when we're doing it because it's, it's so engaging. The process that we're manifesting. You bet. Meaning? The mutual exploration of structures of truth through dialogue okay. in good faith the stoner doesn't even know what you're talking about dog. that's saying awesome. talking yeah Ro yeah and then rogan is stoned out of his mind and has no mean? idea what the fuck he's trying to say okay, so first of all i can trust you and that's been my experience you've never played games with me we disagree that's fun sex games i can trust you you don't play games i can talk to you he you listen and you say things games. we have a conversation it's real. It's fun. We fall into it. The time flies by, right? Yeah. That's a cool thing. That the burden of temporal mortality lifts in the face of genuine dialogue. You think, well, there's a marker for paradise. What does this have to do with the Bible? It's like a bit of transcendence what, of death yeah. right there. Oh, that's the another thing where I'm like, you're saying things that like make sense. I'm going to move us off of his face. Hold on. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I have us covering his face. Sorry, oh, okay. it, it was to the it was to the right of the speaker, but now that they're together, uh, fuck the that that's another <sighs> instance of him just being like saying something that like this is this is why he's so, this is why he's so popular. He says things that are innately true, and he uses big words, so it's drawing, but like he then attaches those truths to things that have he has no business attaching them to because they have no relation like right. like i could say water is wet, how... but water doesn't have anything to do with like how we have sex your I don't, anti trans like, allegory yeah like like <laughs> you can make any truth you want you can't attach it to fucking whatever you want afterwards like he, he he's like the Bible was the first book, which is patently false. Like you can look it up right in, now; it's false. Any of, also, yeah. it's the basis of society, Sub subjective truth. The basis the of base us of feeling like we're having discourse right now. This is rooted in the Bible. The Bible's the only reason you and I are having this discussion. And you know that's true because you and I can be because talking we to each spend other fucking and five hours fucking shooting the shit about it. <laughs> that's. that's is he high? Because this feels like every like stereotypical like sitcom high conversation. No, because the man who is high has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Benzos just get you on a weird fucking level that fucking weed can't get you on. <laughs> oh my god, man! You this think no, it's not. It's like, yeah, how yeah. Bad it is. You go for five years without a meaningful conversation and see if you're dead. Because if you're not, you're sure gonna want to be. Well, it's it's akin to isolation. Jokes on you, I hmm? want to be anyway. I mean, you can be around people but not have a good conversation, and you might as well be isolated. You are isolated yeah, in the prison are. of your own thoughts. What's the problem yeah. if you do, like, if you are stuck somewhere where your own, the only conversation that's available You're is stuck with somewhere where you people. can't say the N-word. Like, if you have a job, and the people at the job are like your friend who was on cocaine and alcohol and wound up dying from it. Like, those kinds of people, if you're only around them, 
it can severe once again for all viewers that your friend was his client Severely limit the way you express yourself and the way you see the world and the amount of stimulation you get out of interacting with people so it'll it'll inhibit your intellectual development hmm? because you won't it's be weird interested because cocaine in expanding makes people more ideas. interactive hmm? you may look well, to it, it, it 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 inhibits your not just your intellectual development but your the entire unfolding of your existence Are they saying yeah. cocaine you know, does one that? of the things that i hope no what what no. isolation around them, isolation it can Got severely it. limit the way you I was express like, yourself what a weird fucking take you see the world and <laughs> the amount of stimulation you know, drugs now call makes you bad at talking people. to people so like, that has not been my experience your intellectual development <laughs> I can't stop. because you won't be interested in expanding ideas and hmm? you may look well, to it, escape. It, it it inhibits your not just your intellectual development but your, the entire unfolding of your existence. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I hope to talk to people a lot about on this tour is the idea that there, there's, there's, I, I did a series on, on Genesis that became quite popular. And one of the oh stories I realized was Imagine the story of Abraham. It's a very cool story because Abraham's like 80 years old, living in his father's tent. Talk about. Literally, the only respect I had for this man was that. He was somehow right wing and not a theist, like fucking right. pencil pusher for the Bible. And he's lost all that credibility now. Failure to launch. And God shows up one day and says, you have to leave everything you know and journey out into the unknown. And you think, well, what is that? Well, that's the call to adventure. That's what it is. And so... And what happens to Abraham is it's a bloody catastrophe. Like the first thing he runs into is a war and then he goes into a totalitarian state, Egypt, and they try to steal his wife. And it's like, man, he's thinking, uh, things are pretty good in that tent. Mm. But, well, he goes on this tremendous adventure and then he's the forefather of, of you know, biblically speaking, half the people on the planet. He has this tr tremendous adventure. <laughs> I like how he says biblically speaking because he knows it's a fucking lie. Think, right. well, what do you said against the no. suffering of your life? <laughs> I, like, I can't say that with any fucking well, integrity. The adventure of your life. That's what you said against it. It's not safety. Forget about that. Mm. There's no safety for mortals. That's for sure. And besides, safety? That's what you want? You don't want that. You want adventure. So then the question is where... Didn't he spend the whole last episode talking about how you want to work for safety with the rabbit and the hare, or the rabbit and the ant? The grasshopper, the grasshopper in the yeah. end. Sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm a little drunk. Uh, Except his analogy was bad then too, because that supported the idea of seizing the means of production, well, and conserving the planet, <laughs> right? But, but the whole the whole idea that uh, yeah, he's like speaking frivolously now. Yeah, there's adventure to be found in exploitation. I'll try it. And see, hell is to be found in exploitation. What? How about who, truth? Who thinks adventures to be found? The suffering of your life. Well, the adventure of your life. That's what you said against it. It's not safety. You forget about that. Mm. There's no safety for mortals. That's for sure. And besides, safety? That's what you want? That's what the ant wanted. You don't want that. You want adventure. So then the question is, where is adventure to be found? In exploitation. At your mom's house. I'll try it. See, <laughs> hell is to be found in exploitation. <laughs> How about who, truth? who thinks adventures to be found in exploitation? Well, that's kind of the claim that everything's about power. Everything's motivated by power. 
Is that really it's what like, people say, though? Who says that? Who says that? Post-modernist. Thank you, Rogan. <laughs> yeah, but that is Every what God but damn. Is love motivated by power? Yes. Is it, That's on. why they distrust love. Is art, is art yes. motivated by power? Yes. So it's when the mouthpiece of political ideology. No. When you're making paintings, no. it's motivated by power? Yes, because you want really? to climb up the socioeconomic status That's hierarchy. not true. That's by painting? That's that, okay. You're making shit up. I, I, just, I, like, I want to be angry, but face. like the face. Yeah, that face, that's what I... I honestly, I'm just going to question. Play the stock market. <laughs> I need to hear that again. The claim that everything's about power. Everything's motivated by power. Is that really it's what like, people say, though? Is that really what people say? Well, the postmodernists all say that. That's such a silly expression. Yeah, but that is Everything. what, the, what, what about that love? is. What is love motivated by power? Yes. No. Nope. That's why they distrust love. Is Come art, on. Is art yes. motivated by power? Yes. So it's when the mouthpiece of political ideology. When you're making no. paintings, that's motivated by power? When you're making, yes, because I you want to climb up the show. I love how simple he made that. When you're making paintings, like, like he wasn't talking about art. <laughs> In the political like in sphere, a, in broad terms, like he was talking about the personal, like, like when you're making paintings, when you're fucking around and just enjoying yourself, like is that <laughs> fucking power trip? No, it's not. Oh, socioeconomic status hierarchy by painting. Yeah, thank you. Play the stock market. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you're just not very good at okay, it. Okay, what about music? Same thing. Motivated by power. You bet. Everything's really? motivated by power. Well, yeah. that was the answer that came out of France yeah. in the 1970s, and that was right. the answer that all the universities accepted. Everything's. Yeah. Why do you think that the whole cultural critique is patriarchal oppression? Don't you My think favorite that part that of France was the 1700s when they cut people's heads off for having too much money. That, that diminishing of effort by calling a painter or a musician and saying that those people are motivated by power. It, it, these are from career intellectuals who don't venture outside of the universities. They like, don't out venture outside the prisons of their own imagination. Or the echo chambers that exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think a tremendous oh, amount of it. So I mean, this was Nietzsche's draw, observation and an Orwell's too. Is that a lot of that's motivated. It's, I, having never listened to Rogan, I can see why people think that he's like a good communicator. <laughs> <laughs> it I, feels, I, I, so I disagree it feels like, with a lot of what he says, but his stoned ass does make a good point every now and again. Well, he he is very effective as like a blank slate to do uh to to perform on. Yeah, like you, you throw some stuff at him, he'll give you a very simple response. He's not, is, he's not a cookie cutter because, right wing talking point. Person. Right. He he is a meathead, but he doesn't have a problem with being like, no, fuck it, explain yourself. <laughs> like, which is good because a lot of stupid people have a problem with asking, like they're scared of it. So they're asking, they don't want to ask people to explain themselves. They want to pretend like they understand, especially that's the problem with Peterson. A lot of the people that I res respected at one point in my life intellectually that felt prey to this Peterson shit we were like, oh, well, he's really smart. And so how dare I question him because he's smart. Right. And Rogan's like, I'm so high. I need you to explain it to me. <laughs> and it comes off as like an antagonist. And even if he doesn't mean it, it doesn't matter. I, I enjoy that he is, even if he comes to the wrong conclusion, I enjoy that he's making it's, Peterson uncomfortable. Well, the, I think a lot of this comes from the fact, like uh, I listened to a different podcast about a movie uh, for the day. And like, yeah, I mean, it's a well done film or uh, whatever, but I don't want to blow smoke up its ass because there's they they set something up and it gets paid off. 
that's a low bar to set. That's just doing effective filmmaking. Same thing here. We've watched so many interviews, especially God, bad the best. Ones. Yeah, bad interviews where we're so used to seeing like Tucker and shit. Well, yeah, or even even not even like Tucker, like even like left more left proposed left leaning uh, news sources where they're doing interviews and. For instance, Biden will say something stupid, fucked up, or nonsensical, and no mm-hmm. one calls them on it. Yeah, because they're so it is. We're watching liberals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's refreshing to watch somebody who's so high that he's not aware of what political point he's making with his questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he's the even, idea again. Of if he draws the wrong conclusion, yeah. right? <laughs> like he clearly does. The, 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 what I can what I can now say with certainty I respect about Rogan is that he has no clear motive. Even if he's wrong, his motive is just like doing whatever the fuck it is that his silly little brain tells him to do. And like, yeah, that might take you down some fucking weird ass paths that are it's, problematic and unacceptable. He's not he's, intentionally he's not malicious. malicious. And not he's, intentionally so. He's not. He might. I would say he's not even as things? malicious as Peterson, because like, oh we've no, heard, no, no. We've heard Ryan say that Peterson is unintentionally malicious himself, but like, there is some intent to that maliciousness. Rogan just no, seems to be has... asking stupid questions that happen to land sometimes. <laughs> um, based on this, I've not watched a lot of Peterson. This is the most I've ever watched of him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It feels intentional a lot of the times he's talking. In fact. With right. the bad faith comparisons, especially. The only thing I can there's give some, him credit for is that you gotta jump through. <laughs> he see he does he doesn't he doesn't blow any dog whistles the way that right wing talking heads do. Like if he oh, stumbles he's not Tucker. Yeah, but if he most stumbles people aren't Tucker. But but it's like it, it's like any I mean, dog whistle himself. that he stumbles on is unintentional. He's a gateway. Yeah. Is what he called yeah, himself yeah. earlier. He, and, and he is. He's been accused of. Yeah. He absolutely is. He's a gateway to Tucker. You don't because... start with Tucker. Yeah, you start with Peterson. He's he's an intellectual you can trust. And the next thing you know, you got your Tuckers. And Rogan feels like I have sympathy for him now in the fact that like I could see how if I was just like somebody who got paid for years to get kicked in the head for a living, um, <laughs> if, if that were me, um. I could see how it would be easy to like interview to to, to interview specifically uh, contrarians, like people who are yeah. on the outskirts that are like, like, okay, well, this Devil's person doesn't advocates. believe in, yeah, like that doesn't seem as problematic if you spent your entire life getting kicked in the head for a living. Um, <laughs> what could go wrong? Right, and and so like. <laughs> The the problem with Rogan is not necessarily Rogan himself. It's that we gave it's that we as a society gave him the platform that he has. Um, <laughs> He's been doing this for such a long time. At a certain point, you have to realize what kind of power you hold by right. using your platform. Podcasts normally how- have to be like one hour at max, or else they won't be listened to. But he's got a four hour long podcast that has a hundred million monthly listeners. So at a certain point, you know exactly what. Well, it's almost like, like, like oh, so Facebook knows it gets oh, a lot more absolutely. reaction with inflammatory or and that's why like they waited. Angry reacts heavier for the yeah. algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, same thing. He knows it affects his pocket. 
if he has these more inflammatory or inflammatory like contrarian, generally right wing guests. Yes. So yes, he is. You can, you can I can say I respect him. I respect not him, but like his no, way him. of interviewing. Yeah. His his means of interviewing. I could at, at least the same time, if he's gonna be the one to if he's gonna be one of the ones to platform these people, at least he asks challenging questions. I will say at the same time, he is choosing to platform these people. It, well, yeah. My my problem so, is the same problem with like Tucker and stuff, but at least he's not jerking them off. Like he's actually yeah. asking them to explain yeah. themselves in an intelligent way. I just feel like it's irresponsible. Well, not with Peterson, but it's irresponsible for like some of the other shit that he's platformed. Um, yeah, Peterson, he Peterson. should bring on and and challenge because Peterson has his own platform that he's managed to. And fucking, is also an idiot. Yeah, so like having the ability to bring him on and be like, explain yourself. You're you're fucking. What you're saying is fucking nonsense. Like, I respect him for that. I just. Uh, one too many kicks in the head for some of his other choices is, I guess, my moral <laughs> final decision. Baited by resentment. We Tremendous be, amount of it. I think that's 100% true. And I think we should be very careful people who aren't charitable. Hmm. Very careful people who aren't nice. And people hmm. that, I mean, there's people that make a career just insulting and shitting on people hmm. all the time. And they never can look at things from that person's hmm. perspective. Well, that is the expression of power then. Yeah. Those comedians he was talking about earlier? Yeah, it yeah. Is. I always think you but think everything's not. about power. It's like that's a confession, buddy. The, the problem with that is it buddy. also it attacks you, your I'm not your, your buddy own friend. perceptions of yourself. Yes, because you know you know who you are. You know what you're doing. You know if you're you're just doing. Yeah. That. Well, what attitude do you have to yourself if right. if you believe the only true expression of human existence is to be found in the will to power? It's, it's crazy. Like, okay, you're a psychopath. Right. But what about if the only true expression is found in the Bible? <laughs> Well, and also and like, even uh, more when you're pretending not to be. God, exactly. a dismal viewpoint. What about friendship? Like, is that power too? It's all manipulation. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> That's great. That's a person That's who's crazy. hung out with good buddies. Admission yeah, that That's power sure. dynamics exist is not admission that everything is based on power. Yeah. But this... you can realistically still say, no, a, a boss abusing a, a, a female coworker employee is an is abuse a power, of power issue, but not everything is. He just said all friendships are power dynamics. Is there's no power dynamic in our friendship? We've been celebrating our birthdays together for ten years now. Not <laughs> once has there ever been a power influence over the other. It's not. Uh, again, he, he's he's making up guys. He's making up a guy. The only the only then. power that's ever been influenced is your fucking work not letting you come to Corpus last year. <laughs> Well, and and like, even more when you're pretending not to be. Exactly. God, a dismal viewpoint. What about friendship? Like, is that power too? It's all manipulation. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's great. Like, that's a person who's never hung out with good. He's buddies. saying this as yeah, a person yeah, who's sure. probably Ridiculous. been yeah, yeah. abusive the in his power. Of as a professor, especially joking around, yes. who yeah, refuses sure. to for yeah. use yeah. his student pronouns. Yeah, well, so you know, if you're in a humor, humorless group, yes. what's going on? But that's the same thing as killing the comedians. It's that, the same thing. That is no. an issue with people without humor. Hmm? That is a problem because if they're not capable of generating it themselves, they resent it. Well, that's sure. another reason why I trust you. I've watched your comedy specials. It's like. Oh yeah, he's he's funny. He's actually funny, like seriously funny, and like seriously funny because you go 
very Keep dark places, him off, very Peterson. successfully. Yeah, don't and break your arm jerking to watch. Rogan off, man. Like, is he really going to do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. But that's, your Kardashian uh, I scrolled devil past like, the That's Netflix one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and it's dark. Uh, you know, that's a good in, an indication Rogan, I saw it for the first time the Rogan had like right. two or three specials. What spirit is possessing this? This manifestation, satanic spirit crouching on a on a bedpost. Yeah, uh, so funny. I couldn't believe you did it. It's really hilarious. Well, I was trying to figure out a way to attack a sacred cow. I know, and you you did it. You didn't get canceled for it either, which well, is what amazing. What I did, I attacked myself. And what he did yeah. get canceled for was for Far the N word and all of his podcast. That. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what I did. That's also the sign of someone who's got their sense of humor. That's one thing I really like about English comedians in particular. The English are really good at making fun of themselves. Yes. And yes. the Monty Python troupe was particularly sure, good at that. Yeah, sure. they're brilliant at it. Well, so. it's um because it's not punching yeah, down. The people who don't like comedy, I mean, you cannot it's like easy comedy, to make fun but that of the means English. you don't like good conversation. Mm. That means that means you don't like camaraderie, mm -hmm, or right. you're incapable of it. Yeah, and there are some people that are brilliant people that don't like comedy. They mm -hmm. don't like conversation. They don't like. They they they're brilliant at very specific maybe non-social things and maybe they're brilliant at engineering or maybe they're brilliant describing at describing autism or maybe they're brilliant it's, at something it's that feels like that's where they're doing this again, again it feels coded kind of back and forth Dance. play yeah, play, yeah, yeah. the play they, they I really play. hate yeah, when autism people don't, don't understand social cues so yeah, 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 autism are yeah. all funny all autists don't have I'm going to so I'm going on a forty city tour which is going to be I hope playful and fun. You know, as well as serious, because we're trying to maintain a spirit of play while we undertake it. That's 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 part of the goal. And I'm inviting some old friends from high school to join me in New York. And they were this group of people that Gross. I knew who were His competitive comedians, school? essentially. And who all we ever that? did when we hung out together, the all of the staff. My friends from high school want to kill me now because I'm a communist. Was all <laughs> funny. Who's like, funny? Who's the fun? Yeah. Who can say who's the most outrageous the most thing? thing? And then yeah. and take it too. And yes. take it oh, too. You have to take it. Yeah. 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 Oh, we take yeah. it. So that's so fun. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I missed that. I thought it was really characteristic that was the sex thing. Healthy working class <laughs> groups. Oh, we take it. Groups. So and fun. as I sort of climbed the intellectual ladder, I found that a lot of that fell away. It and does. I missed it a lot. You know who's really good at it? Sam Harris. Sam Harris's lectures and his debates and his conversation, one of the things that really highlights them is his humor. Like See he has Nazi. a wonderful way of making things seem really up. silly with jokes. And I talked to him about it once. Like there was one that I watched that I, I laughed really hard and I called him up. I go, hey, dude, I go, you could be a comedian, like a, like a real legit comedian. Like your takes on things are very funny. Like they're funny, Murray's they're clever, like that too. they're sneaky. Douglas, yeah, yes. he's got a he's great brilliant. sense of humor, man. It, brilliant people are oftentimes they can they're capable of anything. And Sam, one hundred percent, could be. A I was walking comic. through New York Times Square with Douglas Murray about a month ago, and we were we had gone to an opera, and we were on the way to this unbelievably fun Russian bar, and we were walking through Times Square, and then in Times Square. There's these people dressed up like superheroes, eh? And the kids that have been hired to do this. And Spider-Man ran up to me and he said, are you Jordan Peterson? <laughs> and I said, are you Spider-Man? And this, well, that was pretty damn funny. And then Douglas Murray, we were walking by and he, Douglas Murray said, I wish he would have asked me if I was Douglas Murray. And so... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was ridiculously funny. He's he's very very witty and you it goes and along Douglas with his Murray courage. drinking at a Russian bar must have yeah. been awesome. It was really good. Yeah. We had a blast in in New York. It was I'm really sure. it was ridiculously funny. Is he's got this Doug Murray the one they mentioned earlier. Douglas Murray, yeah, that's yeah. The one we were just talking about. Jesus. <laughs> British author. I'll, let's see more about Doug Murray. Let's see how fucking racist he is. I think he, he's the anti-trans thing. He's a... Let's see his Wikipedia. I want to see... Wikipedia doesn't have a... Reception? Public reception? Journalistic career... This was in reaction to the nope. Views. Views on Islam is the first thing on his views. Oh. Murray is a frequent critic of Islam, saying that there is a creed of Islamic fascism, a malignant fundamentalism woken from the dark ages to assault us here and now in the wake of the 2017 London Bridge attack. Harris does the same thing. Uh, he wrote that Islam is all fringe and no center. The doctrine of Islam represents a unique danger to all of us. The war on terror is really a war on Islam in a good way, I think. Yep. Yikes. So there are a bunch of bigots. Views on immigration. In 2014, he argued for the motion in an Oxford Union debate titled, This House Believes... Post-war Britain has seen too much immigration. In 2018, Murray filmed a video for Prager U entitled The Suicide of Europe, which drew considerable criticism from reportedly evoking the common white nationalist trope of white genocide with its rhetoric of suicide mm. and annihilation. Cool. So he's so he's a Nazi. All right. That took oh, zero time to learn. Sense of humor that. For our listeners who might be in the middle or leaning right, um, white genocide is a Nazi trope. And if anybody talks about it, they're very likely a Nazi. So the fact that I found that on his Wikipedia page that he touted white genocide. Goes along with his insane courage. He's very courageous. He's, uh, I've met like 10 people. I've met a lot of people in the last five years, and a lot of them have been the subject of unbelievably vicious attacks. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and out of that, I've seen emerge some unbelievably brave people like Brett Weinstein, for yeah. example, and his wife, Heather. They're unbelievably brave. And I and her CLE, she's like that. And mm. But Murray is like, Murray, that guy's got a spine of steel. He, he, he certainly does. And he backs it up with consideration and thought. Like he's thought these things through. Yeah. He's not being flippant. Yeah. He's not talking off the cuff. He knows what he's saying, yeah. and you know he he shuts people down in a, a pretty beautiful way. So I went to Cambridge and Oxford in December, after I had been disinvited, and that's a whole interesting story in and of itself because there's a real free speech movement developed at Cambridge and yeah. centered on the School of Divinity. That's so interesting. Mm. Yeah, so it's really starting. Brett Weinstein is known for his controversial, reckless views on the COVID nineteen pandemic. Yeah. Ever back to manifest itself in, in all sorts of fascinating ways. But I tested out some of the ideas that I talked to you about today, about mm -hmm. the idea that we look at the world through a, we have to look at the world through an ethical structure, not a, not an objective structure, uh, a literary structure, in fact. 
And I developed a little bit more when I was talking to you today because I hadn't realized at that point that this literary structure was composed in part of the relationship between foundational texts and that the Bible was by definition at the bottom of that. It has oh, to be. God. Technically. Not that because again. I'll go back to that for a minute well, because wait, imagine that as we move. Uh, Bretton Weinstein was a popular professor at Washington's Evergreen State College. His life was turned upside down when he opposed a day of a day free of white people on campus. I need to know what his. Oh man. Upside down, a does that mean getting a Netflix special for your stand-up comedy? Is that when your life is turned upside down? I also realized that all the jokes about the Netflix stand-up specials, like. intolerant or uh what what are the other canceled all that yeah. that's the name of rogan specials that's rogan who has the specials named that well this whole article is written in favor of the it, motherfucker the motherfucker yeah oh my god I'll look into this more later on. I actually might want to look into this and talk about it on a, one of our episodes or something. But yeah, in the future, apparently he they're trying to frame it as uh, anti-Semitic. We'll find out. Moved forward through time. Well, at one point we had no books at all. We had right. no writing. Well, then the question might be. Well, what did we write down? And the answer is, well, stories. Well, what are stories? Well, they're descriptions of people moving through time and space, doing things. Hmm. Now, that isn't all they are because they can be boring. So they're interesting stories about, they're interesting descriptions he, of people moving through time those and space. Those are the ones that he loves. You bet. Well, no one listens to them otherwise. Or write normal them. They have to be like interesting. Sensationalizing so words. Our sense yeah. of meaning orients us to certain types of stories. Well, those are the ones that get written down and remembered. And so we aggregated those stories across time. And those were our first basic documents. We're like a self. Is he just ignoring the Crusades on why the Bible's lasted so long? Are we just going to ignore <laughs> that fact? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll ignore that fact and carry on. Self-description. What are or is we the doing? general oppression? Well, here's what interesting of, people are yep. doing. Well, how do we know? Other literature. Because well, we're interested in them. And so right, then the you say, well, what's manifesting Dark ages, itself? as and it were. that spirit of engagement. <laughs> Well, even and like so now, there's uh, also anti-CRT. This. And so you and I are engaging in dialogue. That's dialogos, right? So it's, it's the manifestation of the logos dually. And what is that? Well, it's the redemptive. It's redemption in action. That's what it is. Mm. I, I, mean, I thought it was power manipulation. So imagine this. You've got a bunch of worn that was out a, ideas. A mockery. And they're blinding you. And I got a bunch of worn out ideas and they're blinding me. And if we... Well, stumble true. forward in our blindness, we will fall into a pit. So what do we do about that? Well, I talk to you about what you think, and I listen, because, man, maybe you know something that I don't that I need to know. Yes. Well, so how is that a, not a redemptive process? Obviously it is. And, and what's its signal? Because it redeems you from your own totalitarian idiocy and the hell is that, that not, leads to. You, you just told Is that not what happened in Nazi Germany? Hate to be the one to bring up that trope, but... Uh, <laughs> Is that exact mentality not exactly how those atrocities were carried out? 
oh, let me just listen to these Nazis. Surely they have some redemptive arc to what they're teaching. <laughs> Told me that. You said, what happens if you're isolated for five years? I think of more of it as expansive than redemptive. That's fine. I think of it more in terms, I mean, that's my personal experience in doing this podcast, well, which is. It's not just expansive, though. I agree with you. It's expansive. But it's not just that, because while you're expanding, you're also discarding. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's part of it that makes it redemptive. Sure. Right. Okay. And that's there's a reason that in Revelation, Christ comes back with a sword to oh, judge the elect and the damned. There's a reason for that, because that's a symbol of the operation of the logos and the logos, even in dialogue, says that's an interesting point. We'll keep that. Let's focus on that. Well, we can ignore that. We can get rid of that. We can we can junk that. And it's this constant Part of it's mercy because let's keep what's good because we want everyone to flourish. But part of it's judgment. That's the sword. It's like, no, no, not this. Same bitch. And most of you, most <laughs> you get rid of most things, right? You can't keep most things. You have to put them aside. Well, that's that. There's an old idea that Jung elaborated on that God rules with two hands, mercy Bink. and justice. And the mercy is, well, let's let everyone flourish and welcome people and forgive them all of that but justice is more yeah but let's do the right thing and leave what's wrong behind and that requires judgment judiciousness i talked to jimmy carr about how he prepared for his comedy tour and maybe you do exactly the same thing and he said comedy stand-up comedy is the most dialogical of artistic enterprises and i thought well what do you mean because you're just talking like i do on lectures and i think i'm listening to the audience all the time He's making contact with them, watching how they're acting. I'm listening. Carr said, well, I do 100 shows before I go out on tour, and I try out new material. So he generates new material, a lot of it. That's the creativity part. And then he goes and tries it out in audiences. And they either laugh or they don't. And because he's brave and listens, he notices when he's not funny, and he stops being not funny. And so the audience just tells him what's funny, and then he collects that across 100 instances. And then that's funny and verified by the audience, and he goes out and tells those jokes. And so that's dialogical and redemptive as well. It's like, what jokes need to be told? Well, our culture has some sacred cows. Those are idols. The idols that the um, Israelites worshipped in the desert. The golden calf. Sacred Bro, cows. are you for real? They need to be punctured. He's, he's making Why? it sound like... Because they're impeding our progress. Why are you saying just the fucking of one way is pastor right now? We show that we can transcend them. He's and supposedly an atheist. Here's something we can't laugh about. Let's laugh about it. Everybody breaks down. Everybody cries. Also, the way that he, with... the way he talks He's... about biblical stories offhandedly like that is like Christianese. Like that's like it really is. Why would anyone know offhand what stories he's talking about? Like you're speaking to Christians to assume that anyone knows that like, yeah, I know word for word what he's talking. I, I know exactly what stories he's talking about because I spent 25 years in that fucking religion. Right. Um, how the fuck am I a normal person who wasn't brainwashed by a cult supposed to know what stories he's talking about when he says Abraham and he says the Israelites and he says like, what the fuck? Like why? I, and this is supposed to be the, the cornerstone of truth, but like. <sighs> My main issue with what he's talking about currently is he's, 
he's again making it seem like this like comedy writing. He's they're elevating comedy writing. No, yeah, but like but, they're um, giving it a sacred truth that doesn't exist. That sacredness well, doesn't exist. It's the smaller thing he's talking about, which is like you know he's he's basically trying to explain why edgy humor is funny, right? In a but weird way, because he's equating, is wrong to begin with. He's like, no, no, no. He, he's basically done a study on what's funny. He goes, he tests out humor, and he's taking the funniest bits and using that on his shows. But he's saying he's based it on audience reaction. This is all reactive, right? Again, but how it's the is same thing as what we talked earlier way about biblical. It's it's not. It's right. not. Well, he's basically saying it's okay for them to to test the limits of humor, and so cancel culture is because you're bad. a biblical hero. I, I almost I almost feel like I'm a part of some dog whistling show. When people start fucking talking the Bible, because like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but like, I shouldn't have to, (laughs) I shouldn't have had to spend two decades weekly getting indoctrinated to know what you're saying offhand. Like, who are you telling this to? Who are you giving this hero complex to? Yeah, his, his audience is clearly he he knows he's refined exactly who he's talking to. Yeah, which is infuriating because that's he's no longer intelligent. White men who tend to predominantly have false Re- Christian views, religious, not just religious, but but Judeo-Christian views. Yeah, and that's really annoying because like, he's marketing even, himself. Even the Peterson that we knew when Ryan showed us all of his shit, I mean, he was a bigot and an evil person, but like, I he never said any of this shit. Yeah. Like, he owned his own bigotry. He wasn't fucking passing it off as biblical heroism. And it is, I'm actually really annoyed that Ryan couldn't make it today to hear all of this shit to fucking experience the trauma that I'm going through. (laughs) How much longer do we have? We got 10 more minutes to Uh, get through. Yeah. You know, it's so cool when people laugh, they can't fight. I used to, used to go work out with Jim Keller, this chip designer. And we did this for years. And one of our jokes was, you know, we'd be striving to bench press, whatever we were managing at the time, 175 pounds, like it's really straining. And then we'd crack a joke. And that was always funny. We spotted them, of course, because as soon as you laugh, all your muscular tension disappears. Right. And so that's so cool, eh, is when you laugh, you can't fight. Is that uh, talking about a subject you just not... So how much laughing should we be doing? Basically. Depends on how much yeah. fighting. Yeah. Like wrong. That's what and maybe if we didn't want to do any fighting, we'd be teams laughing all done the time. Their entire life. And that's how you said that cements your your group of comrades together. Well, you're not fighting. What Comrade. are you doing instead? Playing. Yeah. Well, that's what we need to do, man. Is we need to play. All of us. Yeah, well, I agree with that. Is that a sex sure. thing? I'll there's say, a, there's a thing back going to... on with stand-up where you're your kids last playing crowd, yeah the last really time he said play no so, tell, tell adults playing well, you, was like, the last I'll time he said play and i'll have the bit fully structured you know i'll so write we all it need out to play. and then uh, i try to go on stage and on stage i'm informed by the feeling that i have interacting with the crowd mm-hmm. to take it to a different place mm-hmm. to take it to take the subject to a different place to to abandon parts of it that just don't feel organic to me right and i 
you learn through the crowd that yeah. you can't just write. Sometimes you can. Sometimes jokes come out in full form. There's some jokes that I wrote that I literally wrote them down and then I did them on stage the exact way that I wrote them mm -hmm. down. And mm -hmm. they always stayed that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. But some of them, they don't come that way. Mm -hmm. They come like as they come like as the thing that you have to piece together. Mm -hmm. Like you have part, like here you have some material, you have some raw material. Yeah. And I guarantee you this could be a house. But yeah. you're gonna have to figure out what the layout is. Yeah. That's what happens when I'm lecturing. Yeah. Because I never give the same lecture twice. Mm. And I don't use notes. Mm. But I do the same thing. I have a, a whole, I think about it like jazz improvisation. I have a whole bunch of stories that mm. I know and I have a whole bunch I'm of questions that I've investigated. I'm not going to lie. I find I've this whole romantization and all, what of I try to both do their careers lecture, And that's what I do on the tour. I have hell. a question that yeah. I haven't investigated to my satisfaction. We get it. You think your job's think, incredible okay, and difficult. What question and am I investigating? Not everyone understands the inner world. This is a good yeah, thing for people who want to write I'm essays. I'm so talented and don't amazing. Don't write an essay about a question that you don't want an answer to because that's a lie. Right. And it'll be right. dull, and you'll Especially hate it. After after all this you get a bad grade, shit. you get cynical, and you drop out. out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, I said we get to the end of this fucking this tangent. Yep, and then we call it. Yeah. So we're within the ten minute mark, which we ended at like fifty six last time. So yeah. I'm over listening to this motherfucker. Yeah. It's, it's not good. So you got to be a real question. It's not good. Yeah. So, okay. This is a question. I think it's worthy of pursuit. I'd like to get farther with it. Okay. Here's, here's a theory I know about that we could explore it with. Here's another one. Here's some examples of that that make good stories. Here's another place I could go to investigate that. So I have that in my mind. And then I go out and I'm watching. I always watch single people in the audience. One at a time. The lights kind of interfere with Eight. that. Because I'd like to be able to see the people at the back, but I can't. But I, so I watch the front people and I see, is this landing? Like, are the lights going on? Because you can tell. And it's the, I'm, I think this, the thing that's most similar to what I'm doing in my book tour is stand-up comedy. Mm. So you can tell if, the, if it's landing, people are nodding and they're not fidgeting and the crowd isn't rustling. Like they're all focused. This reminds me of, of Not Shapiro wanted to be a, a comedy writer kind of when he was younger. And if there's a lot of them, that's a problem. But if it's one guy, you don't look at and him. And became Shapiro instead. Else. You know, maybe he had a bad yeah. day. You don't yeah, take that this conversation personally. feels like. And then the crowd, you said, informs you. And inform is really an interesting term. Information. So now you're looking at the crowd and you're looking oh, at their eyes wow. in particular and their face. And is their he eyes high tell too? you what they're focused on, so what they think is important. God, I hope so. And their so. face tells you how they're reacting. And then you glance around the crowd and then you get a sense of the whole crowd and you map that onto your body. And that gives rise to a set of intuitions that allows you to communicate because otherwise you couldn't communicate. And that's listening, although you're doing it with your eyes, but you're still listening. And, and that does inform this dance. And that's partly also why people love stand-up comedy. That's partly why they like my lectures. is because they don't know what's going to happen, and neither do I. And it could fail at any moment. And so a good that comedy... Have lectures that failed spectacularly? No. But I've, I've certainly <laughs> but had could. ones... Oh, it certain, I yeah. certainly have felt that it might. Right. Because oh, I'll go out God. on my... Thought tends to be quite tangential. This one's not doing so hot, in my together. opinion. So then I'll go way I out of the limb. I hate this. Like I'm addressing this question. 
Idea, 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 idea. Yeah. Uh-oh. I'm away from the tree, and I don't know how to get back. Right. And then at sometimes, and oh. then sometimes that'll happen mid-lecture, and I think, then tree. I get self-conscious. Then I forget everything. Kind of was headed. Hmm. And then I can, <laughs> oh, yes, that's why I made right? that point. And then I can go back. And people like, the, you know, one of the things comedians often do is they'll tell a joke early in the set, and then quite a bit later in the set, they'll reintroduce the joke. It's a callback. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I do callbacks all the time in my yeah. lectures. Yeah, and people love that. Because, yeah, yeah. A thing well, we've done since the beginning of time. It shows them There's literally that a they follow the community. Yeah. and that we're in the same That's, place. Yeah. Right. And they love How about them, them apples? And it's just as satisfying yeah. as a punchline. Yes. And it is a punchline in some sense. It's like... All this Hamilton reprised every yeah, single song in the end. Like this. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fun. You can see lights going all the time in the crowd. It's such fun. Yeah. People love that. Yeah. Well, and no wonder it puts them in the zone. So here's a cool thing. Auto Vygotsky, Russian psychologist. God damn it. Quit cutting to this fucking children. scene. So he Our thought, faces cover him. Speak because no one <laughs> teaches them. They just learn. It's a weird thing. Even very intellectually impaired human beings learn to talk. It's really deeply embedded in us. So he looked at how parents talked to their children while they were developing language, and he found that parents even talk to children at a level that talk. slightly exceeds their current of level shit. of comprehension. Mm. And they do that without knowing they're doing it. And so then you think, well, what are you doing? You think what you're doing. You've got the child, and he knows some things. But he doesn't know enough. Don't. But you don't want to punish him like and exclude him because he doesn't know enough. Hand motion. But you don't want to leave him Get the child. So you speak to him so he almost catches on. <laughs> and that way he gets something, but there's a horizon, right? And the horizon keeps moving, uh, moving. And the, so the child's right at that edge. That, Vygotsky called that the zone of proximal development. Mm. That's the zone. That's the term. So when you're in the zone... That you love to be in, and you know when you're in it, so does the audience, so does everybody. They're in the zone, man. Athletes are in the zone. I have to make jokes because I don't find this funny anymore. Isn't that cool? It's like, yeah, it's not. It's the precondition. They're not for being cool. funny, and they're not being. It's like it's everyone, they're like, literally just explaining. I think what's going on with Interesting, comedy, yeah. Least, I can speak to that. I've never really done any lectures, but the, with comedy, what's happening they're again, is romanticizing it's, it's kind of the process of the giving a lecture. You with their thoughts. Giving a lecture is thoughts are a phrase used to define an uninteresting that someone interaction. Can follow you with wonder. Like literally a lecture. It can't be too obvious. One of the worst things a comic can do is have too many words to set up a premise. Explain the joke too much. Because then it allows the person to formulate their own punchline. Oftentimes they come to the same punchline. A little sooner. Right. Because if a person is going to write, if the person is going to use too many words to describe something, oftentimes they're unskilled. Right. So they're. But you just describe Peterson. Okay. If a person use, uses too many words to describe something, they're unskilled. Well, yeah. We're going to leave it today. Because I, I genuinely can't. I did not drink as much as last time, but I feel drunk because I can't understand anymore. Not because I don't know what they're saying. It's We why. only spent two and a half hours on this recording. Which is insane because I feel like I went through five hours of fucking bullshit. Yeah, that felt like it took way longer than the four hours, five hours you spent recording the other one. Oh my god, that was draining.
that mentally was, draining. That was co- yeah, that was all consuming. I'm exhausted. Holy. It yeah. is it is noon and I'm I'm done with things. Yeah. I need a nap and watch some cartoons. Yeah. But something innocent. Uh, to our viewers, I'm sorry. We we force y'all to endure that with us, honestly. Without Ryan <laughs> to pad <Yeah>. that. <laughs> uh, you can blame him and having work for that. Yeah, having a, a, a normal Imagine career. having a job that doesn't allow you to be awake in the and early drinking. hours of a Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> um couple couple takeaways. This one really hot highlighted highlight highlighted 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 yep. uh a few things for me uh first off Peterson's obvious obsession with hating trans people right. his confusion on what gender is and sexual preferences right <laughs> um also holy shit these people are full of themselves yeah, that last 40 like, minutes so was fucking full of brutal. It was just y'all don't understand how amazing I am at my job, which is talking at people. Having to convince us of that makes it feel like you're not Maybe. as good at your job as you think you are. <laughs> if you have to spend a third of your four-hour episode podcast telling me how hard and your job is and how good you are at it. Maybe you're not really that good at it. And like, I guess like or maybe even if you are the explanation of if your job is talking at people for the most part, you really don't need to give me like the behind the scenes view. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So with, with uh, Peterson, it felt like it was like desperate with Rogan. It feels like, like, we don't, buddy, you've got a hundred million viewers. Like, why are you telling me how hard you jerk yourself off to talking? <laughs> like, like Peter said, I get it. Like he's, he, we've already established that he's like a fucking social media horror that is trying to get as much yeah. popularity as possible. Fine. But like Rogan, like you've got it made. buddy. <laughs> you, you have the number one podcast YouTube fucking demonetize me on a video that i can't monetize anyway because it's my first video on the channel because i had your voice <laughs> on my fucking video um you, you can you can don't is is my point <laughs> oh my god give me one how they even i can only assume peterson wanted two things as a child to be a comedian or a dancer, I can only assume his dad or his parents repressed him in both those aspects. Because, A, he's not funny anyways. He is not an amusing man for the reasons he thinks he should be amusing. He's, like, nothing he says he, is even in the fucking, yeah, he, he won't stop talking about dancing. He right. won't stop. Which, even like, at the very end, he literally compared waiting for your crowd's reaction that's all it was that they spent like half an hour talking about the dance of a comedian or lecturer with their audience right 
But what did he the just fact say? That he's, oh, the fact that he has to compare lecturing to fucking comedy is really telling. <laughs> he really wanted yeah, to go into the arts, I'll, I'll but talk was about forced into academics. Then, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's why the lecturing is holds, very much like stand-up comedy in well, that I'm not funny. Almost, <laughs> you can even like hear him almost holding a reverence for these these blue hair types, as he says. Right. The, the sub the subcategory of criminals, the criminal types, tattoos, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. creatives. But he even when he was describing them, his description was negative, but his tone was different than when he talked about like the power dynamics people. Right. Because creativity the, this, was rare. And then he went yeah. on to say that all he, of these criminal types were up. creative. Yeah. He held it up to a, on a pedestal, but also he's not one of them, really. He kept calling himself one. Like, he creates things by writing, but he's not he's like, a lecturer, a and that's in no yeah. way creative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Seeing him, like, in a very obvious way, show how insecure he is is the yeah. funniest thing he's done yeah it seems like it seems like peterson is very insecure and rogan's just like playing off of it to continue conversation because he's a conversationalist he makes his money off talking for four hours in a right. set so like he's just talking like i don't think rogan's jerking himself off as much as he's just talking in reaction a bit of both. Yeah, yeah yeah but it didn't seem like it was something <laughs> that he was really like gearing towards Right, he because again, he, he asked some questions that never got answered. <laughs> he sure did. At one point, he was asking questions, and Peterson actually steered conversation back to when he's talking about uh, the persona. Yeah, he started talking about what was it he was talking about. Rogan asked him a question. He said, "Oh yeah, well, we'll go back to the other thing I was talking about. Well, let's go. Let's backtrack." Yeah, yeah. He was For like, the first okay, time. I'll, I'll answer that in a minute, but let me finish this thought." When previously all he did was they would ramble from thought to thought to thought <sighs> with no connection between almost. It was really, I have to say, it was sort of disappointing how unchallenged all that biblical shit went. Right. Like, like no, anytime, um, saying, anytime he said anything, Rogan was like, uh, prove it. Yeah, sure. But yeah. then, but then the bible came up and rogan had nothing to fucking say yeah again it feels like they're playing their watched, fucking base um the the last episode our episode it felt like that was literally we started this one fight talking about how oh you know i don't respect rogan i do respect kind of the process he does on these talk shows you know with the challenging them and I thought, well let's just prove that real fast well and he did that a lot until the bible came up and then he fucking stopped yeah, it feels like he really quit doing it this episode. Yeah. Incredible. That did people watch the whole four hours? Like people who enjoy them? I I'm only doing it for spite. My, that's literally why we're here. That's this why we're watching watch. this one episode. Yeah. <laughs> and this is our first Rogan episode. My understanding of the Rogan experience is that his hundred million fans really do watch the entirety of episodes and his four hour long episodes that come out once incredible. a week. Incredible. Uh, what was they were talking about? Uh, why did it bother you that your, your two-year-old son was just something like a princess? Well, I want him to grow up to be normal. Ah, 
that was it. That was when he was still challenging him, though, because he was like, "What do you mean by uh, no, normal? no, no?" That was that was an indictment of Peterson, not Rogan. I'm really hoping this this next half gets better. God, I fucking hope so. I really want that lobster chug. I'm uh, also exhausted by the Bible talk. It's, if I hear one more I'm, thing about the Bible, I might fucking cry. For for our, I guess, if you're somehow a first time viewer, we both grew up churchy. I I literally went to school to be a youth minister, and yeah. I am burned out on this whole conversation. Right, dude went to one museum exhibit, and suddenly the Bible is the foundation for manifesting truth. It's literally what he said. Yep. He he recently if you, if you're the went tree, to an exhibit. Yeah, if there's a tree of truth, the root, the bottom of the tree is the Bible. I don't I don't understand how he could possibly come to that conclusion as an atheist. That is insane. That is genuinely insane. <laughs> literal insanity. That is he should be committed for saying such a thing. I know devout Christians who haven't said such fucking things. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a fucking insanely wrong thing to say i've i've actually had like discussions on christianity and like people are like well how do you think the like other they literally they'll explain the existence of like other cultures and texts that have biblical teachings almost from previous times not as the bible influencing them as literally they would literally say things like well those God's always existed, so he influences people's souls and their writings, whatever, even if he's not apparent in the form of Judeo-Christian God. Right. Not, no, no, the Bible's the foundation of everything. Just everything. (laughs) All right. (sighs) To our viewers, I again apologize for... Yeah, any viewers who are yeah. similar to us and are traumatized by that, I sincerely apologize. <laughs> um, next time, we'll hopefully have Ryan on to, uh, to add some levity or even maybe context to his ramblings. But uh, he does he does a good job of padding the trauma that we're experiencing. I feel very raw right now, and I think it's because Ryan didn't spend an hour padding it for me. (laughs) Um, But as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of this. Uh, We'll be back next time with the third hour of the Joe Rogan experience uh, with Ryan, ideally. Hopefully, if we we can manage it. To finish out. uh, we're, We're halfway there now. Yeah, you have halfway. reached the halfway point of this insane task that we have <laughs> put you through with our decision. You, the listener, are experiencing this with us, and we apologize greatly if you didn't want to. If, I, if we're <laughs> suffering, you're suffering. Just know that. Uh, or other way around. One of those. It will get better. When we, when we get through this, we'll get back to the news, I swear. <laughs> Yes. Yes. The the uh, I the desperately want to get fun. back to the news and never listen to this shit again. <laughs> this will be the last time we force you to watch Rogan and Peterson. I, I will and two mostly because I can never do it again. <laughs> uh, so as always, find us on Twitter or addnews.com. 
or Facebook or wherever you find and listen to political podcast people. Patreon for the unedited version. Oh my God. If you go to our Patreon and you give us money, a certain amount, $15, $15 a month. There's a year-long loot box. Merch. Every three months, you get an escalating uh, reward. Starts with a sticker, goes to a mug, goes to a shirt, goes to a hoodie. Honestly, the hoodie at the end of the 12 months is 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 pretty good. Like I, I, I said, in a year, it will be cold again. So you'll need that hoodie. Exactly. Unless global warming has... Again, fucked us because we Des- fucked it up. Destroyed but. us. <laughs> we'll alter but the package. Nuclear make, winter might happen thing. also. Yeah. True. So Fallout. New Vegas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh if you want to survive Fallout Vegas, Hi, sign everybody. up for a Patreon. <laughs> buy a hoodie. And in a year, you, in a you'll year okay. you'll be able to survive unless <laughs> the nuclear winter comes in less than twelve months, in which case the money you gave us won't matter to us or you. So, money doesn't matter anyways. Money so, won't matter. Money's not real. So um, have fun. Send news. Send news. Send news. <laughs> tap, tap, tap.